yeah, me and Matt also make ASMR videos together. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be the second podcast we'll talk about that. Yeah. Uh, so, this welcome to the podcast. This is it. Uh, this is the Mink and the Monk podcast. I'm Matthew Fink, your host. And my name is Brad Monko. Your other host. And we are fortunate enough to have the amazing Jennifer Maidman in the studio today. Uh-huh. So, uh, let's get to it. Uh, what were we discussing beforehand? Well, uh, you, you've you been having a bit of time... Uh, you know, uh, dealing with COVID, uh, a little bit more complicated than us because you're originally from England. You were back in England for a while. Yeah. So, uh, how difficult was it to navigate the pandemic as a, you know, as someone going between countries at the worst time to travel between countries? It was, it was, well, for a while there, it was impossible. Um, and there's actually still a travel ban in place for going from Europe to the U S which is the U S but it's lifting in November. But the exception for, to that is if you can show um, it's in the U.S. economic interest, yeah, <laughs> yeah, which yeah. sounds kind of like that sounds like a high bar, you know, that sounds like a few million dollars, but it's actually not, you know. So for a while I was, you know, nothing was happening anyway. We didn't have any gigs anyway. So once Homeland Security found out that you played bass, they, right they were like, <laughs> yeah, they were like, you playing with Matt? Oh, okay, yeah, come right. in, you know. Yeah, we need you. Yeah, so basically you just have to get people to write letters and say, you know, this is, look, this is a band. Okay, this person's English, but the rest of these people are Americans and, you know, they need to be able to work together because that's, you know, how music works. So um, it's also how the country was founded. Uh, well, exactly. <laughs> so. Yeah, so I guess, I, I mean, I have a house here, so I am a, I pay taxes here even. Um, so, you know, I am a, a, an immigrant, but I'm not a citizen. So, you know, there was a ban on citizens. So uh, it's been very tricky for a lot of people, I say that, you know, to answer your question. I know that not everybody got granted that exception, um, you know, and there's been families split up. There's been all kinds of stuff has happened and that's that's been COVID, you know, and I'm sure it's been the, probably the same all over the planet for that matter. But I guess the upside has been um, everybody's doing a lot more online stuff, right? I mean, here we are. We we're creating something that's going to stream at some point. Yes. Yep. And um, so I was in England with my partner, Annie, who's a trombone player, Annie Whitehead. And, uh, you know, at first, like everyone, we were like, well, they're saying it's going to just be a few weeks, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I remember saying those words myself. Uh, yeah, they were like twenty months ago. Three weeks, we'll shut this thing down, you know. <laughs> yeah. And then it was like, eh, maybe not. And um, so we we actually our living room, we we put a green screen up, you know, so we could appear to be anywhere. Oh, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, sophisticated yeah. stuff. Sophisticated, very sophisticated. Yes. So we, you know, we did some stuff um, with people here, and yeah, all kinds of things, you know, plus remote recording and. Um, I guess everybody adapted, um, but I know it's been tough not gigging because, let's face it, royalties have dried up, you know. Oh, just as a, well. Generally speaking, I mean, royalties are not what they used to be like in the 90s or the 80s, you know. So So when you say that, so that's as good as any spot to to just ask about, like all of the things that you've been involved in on, um, I'd say for about the last 40 years, would you say? Uh, recording um, professionally and producing? And yeah, you may, hang on. It might be a little bit longer than that. Might be a little bit longer. Yeah. So, so are you saying that royalties that you have from other projects that you did 
from that long ago, that percentage is drying up? Or are you saying stuff that you're doing now is negotiated at less, there's a less value, less value to it now? Um, well, it's, it's probably a bit of both, but certainly the stuff that we, I mean, I was involved with quite a lot of, you know, fairly successful records um, in the 80s and the 90s to some extent as well. And, um, you know, that used to used to get quite nice residuals on that, you know. It wasn't like you're going to retire on it, but it was like, oh, that's nice. Right, right. Pay some taxes and some bills and stuff. And, you know, I think everybody's noticed that just since, it's really since everything turned to streaming and Spotify and, uh, you know, the rates are just, uh, they to me, they seem to be way down, certainly for, for musicians like us, you know. So Men you're saying streaming for the artist is not a good thing? I don't, I, well, it's a, it's, that's a great question because I, <laughs> I think it's really mixed because what's great about it is that, you know, if, if we make a record, we can re release it very easily and um, we can get it to the people that want to hear the record. But making money out of it, that's a whole separate question. Um, you know, because we're not selling little pieces of plastic anymore. Right. Yeah. yeah. Except maybe a few at gigs. But I mean, CD sales are way down. Vinyl's actually up, but it's still it's still a low. It's the, the music industry is not not what it was. And that's OK. I mean, I'm not I'm not somebody that goes, oh, it's all better in the old days, you know. <laughs> Um, I mean, there's always an upside and a downside, but I do think that in terms of people being able to make a lot, a lot of money, <laughs> yeah, or, or even just a really decent living. I mean, I was more in that a decent living category um, from royalties being part of that. Well, session fees, yeah, yeah, you know, stuff that comes in afterwards. Um, it's just not there anymore. You know, we used to get you'd make a record, it'd be a hit. You know, so you got paid for the session, then you'd get. It'd be on like a, some TV shows, you know, and it's like, oh, it's on the TV show here. There's another couple Different of hundred, royalties. you know, yeah. and then um, stuff from the radio and um, it's all way down. Yeah. You know, I think for me, I had a, dis a, a decisive moment a couple of years ago where someone came up to me on a gig and said, hey, do you have any, you have a CD? And that was common for the last 15 or so years. And I said, yeah. And I gave him a CD and he thanks and turned around and walked away like yeah. didn't ask me how much it was like just yeah. was like oh this is this is this is free which is <laughs> yeah. i wasn't making any money on i mean most of these endeavors it takes a bit of time for you to recoup right any money you put into production but even on a small recording you, there's still probably ten thousand dollars at play like to come up with a, a trio record of originals and pay musicians and studio yeah. engineers and all that kind of stuff and it wasn't like I just I was more stunned, but also like, uh huh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, like, yeah. like, it wasn't a, I wasn't like I wasn't personally upset at at yeah. him or anything, but it just was like it was a clear mark of yeah. the way these things are thought of now. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. It's almost like it's it's a promotional device. Rather, That's right. It's an expensive business card. I actually, we both play with Jesse Gross, right? Sure. You know, and Jesse plays with Todd Rundgren, as you sure. as you know. And I, I went to see Jesse play with Todd at Daryl's house. And um, I love Todd, you know, he's, he's been, he was a hero of mine from way, way back. So Jesse said, oh, come and meet Todd, you know. So uh, Todd was on the bus, you know, he was eating his, his dinner and stuff. I got on the bus, I had a little chat with Todd and I said, oh, you know, I'd love to give you my CD. 
And it, and it, and he looked at it. He went, oh, that, oh, that's really nice. He said, but I don't have a CD player. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, even Todd Rundgren doesn't, doesn't have a CD player. Yeah. The world yeah. is, you know, what happened, you know. Right. Yeah, it's a <laughs> yeah. very... He very... took it anyway, you know, but I thought yeah. well, it's probably just going to go in the box with the others, you know. Yeah, I mean, at least, you know, in, with him, maybe it's a really nice coaster to put, to, to put his drink <laughs> right. on. Right, right. In yeah. the old days, you could, uh, you could de-seed your weed on an album, but you can't on a <laughs> CD, so I think you just have to put your drink on it. Yeah, that's, that's a good idea. Yeah. yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm sure yeah. many of many a Merlot has been on a Fat Mink CD uh, over the years. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, people give me download cards now, and it's like I yeah. it's on Apple Music, but okay. Like I, yeah, I saw yeah. Dave Attell recently live, um, and uh, I got like two download cards. I was in the front row, and he gave out download cards for his opener for free. And it's like, oh, this is a nice memory, but I'm not going to use the download code. It's on Apple Music. Right. So, right, right, right. But yeah. uh, I mean, that aside from like the physical uh, consideration of, of what's going on with the music now, uh, you know, obviously a big part of getting like uh, the royalties to pay what they should and for yeah. musicians to get the money they need, it's going to take some sort of action, you know, by lawmakers, um, yes. which I, I don't think they're necessarily equipped to make those decisions that well here. Do, is it, are they more ahead of the curve as far as lawmaking and the entertainment side of things? Uh, in Europe, in, yeah. Um, there's actually, a, I'm, I'm hearing that there's a move afoot in the UK, um, and, and to some degree in, Europe, in the rest of Europe as well. Um, it, it can be tricky to get to get lawmakers to really understand the difference between, you know, Paul McCartney or something, you know, who's always, you know, even a half a percent of of his stuff is <laughs> like, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, and people like us, you know, who 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 were doing okay, and then suddenly it's like not doing so okay. But I, I think they are starting to get it. And they're, you know, I saw a thing the other day. It was like they're looking at um, streaming rates. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> where you know things like Spotify, where you go, hang on a minute, you know, the guy that runs or owns Spotify, the CEO is like a billionaire. You know, most of the people making the music are just kind of getting their little, I don't know, you know, oh. Five dollars and seventy-three cents. You know, I um, yeah, I did get one check, but my threshold is is twenty dollars. So if you're less than twenty, yeah, in the can, you know, stored, you don't get it. But you can check it. But that's that was after um, 15, twelve years. Of, yeah, you right. Know, uh, and, and I'm. Paul McCartney, I'm sure, is getting He's doing checks okay. pretty regularly. He's doing well, right? yeah. Which yeah. is probably the reason why some big artists have sold their whole catalogue as well. Like Dylan did that, didn't he? Yeah, that was recent, right? It was quite recent, yeah. yeah. For like, you know, 30 million bucks or something. Because it's like, well, you know, how old is he? He's 80 years old. He's probably thinking, yeah, that'll last me out, you know. That'll, that'll do it, yeah. And the people that buy the catalogue, the private equity companies, they're just taking the long view and they're going... It's probably the CEO you know. of Spotify. Yeah. <laughs> He's the guy that bought it. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, uh, I know Barry Gordy sold his catalogue years ago. And I, right. I remember because he had a piece, I think, of everything that was written by the writing team there. Um, yeah. Holland Holland and uh, yeah. Dozier, I think is that. Yeah. And uh, so every tune that that team wrote because they were hired by him and he and he mm. also was a good songwriter. But long story short, I think he sold his entire catalog for uh, 40 million. Wow. And then he sold or no. 
It was all in. He sold the record company, uh, the buildings. Yeah. Uh, and there, I think he sold this recording catalog for 80 million and sold the the uh, the buildings for 40. So he'll be okay. I think he'll just yeah he'll be okay. Yeah, I could be wrong, so I mean maybe I shouldn't even. I, I did read the I read his book. Uh, uh, anyway, it, yeah, it just nothing libelous there. Yeah, it's yeah. Um, it's a uh, it's a different world, but it's so, a different world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, and the heavy rotation thing. I mean, I guess that still is happening, but I don't know. I mean, I'm certainly not an authority on it. All I know is the checks got smaller. Right. Yeah. That's that's all I know, really. But also a lot of people said to me, you know, there's money out there. There's all these old school collection societies. We should, you know, we don't want to spend the whole podcast talking about money, I guess. But <laughs> there are all these kind of, you know, these Tim Powell-y type collection societies that have been there since forever, you know, since piano music. Um, and that some of them are, they, they've been collecting stuff for years, you mm-hmm. know, and they're not, let's say they're not, maybe some of them aren't that proactive. Mm-hmm. in seeking people out. And I think that's become almost like a new um, it's a, a little sort of niche for people is to, um, you know, I've certainly be appro- been approached about that and I may go with someone who says, look, I'll, I'll proactively look for this money, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, because there's a good chance it's just sitting somewhere. It's and just they, sitting in yeah. some bank account, in, you know, somewhere. And you're entitled to it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we got a little bit out of Italy recently for the Penguin Cafe Orchestra. And um, and it was just because some society was closing down, you know. Oh. And they and some thank thank you. It wasn't a huge amount, but it was you know it was a couple of thousand dollars or something, you know, which mm. is great, you know. And um, yeah, some guy had a sort of you know a conscience attack or something. I don't know, and just went, well, you know, this money. I could just take the money, or I could try and find some of these artists, you know. And he did that. Amazing. Yeah. So that was good. So, but you think, well, there's probably a lot more like that. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of those albums then. Yeah. If, um, that aren't making any money. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. But uh, have a remarkable amount of interest in. And all right. So I, when I knew I was doing that, you were coming here this week, um, I looked up, as you do, you know, and realizing like there's far too many albums for me to do thorough listening to before speaking with you. Mm. And full disclosure, I've known you for what four, five years. Yeah, um, maybe a little bit longer even because it feels like we lost a year somewhere. But yeah, <laughs> the COVID year is that what right. you mean? Or, or yeah, or, maybe it's at least five years. I, I'm going to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was uh, yeah. around because yeah. Roswell was still. We did we did that. Yeah, keep, Ros- on, keep on stepping, right? Uh, you know, you played, that's you, you on there. On I played bass on there and some guitar, some rhythm guitar. You're playing the rhythm guitar part. Yeah, I did. And I, I, I just went to Roswell's uh, house with Verna, um, who lives like you know right over there. I was yeah. talking earlier about Roswell Rudd, by the way. Roswell yeah. Rudd, Verna Gillis. Yes, um, and he he was sitting in the chair, and they asked me if I wanted to play on it. So they just played the track, ah. and I it was one take. I just played. There's like the solo on there, yeah. But there's a there's a video of it and pictures of it somewhere. But I literally was sitting in the living room. Roswell's this far from me, and um, is that Re- who 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 did the production? Uh, Reggie. Reggie. Oh, I forgot. Terrible with 
Sometimes. Yeah, lovely Re- Reggie. Yeah, Reggie. That's what I. That's what I called him. Yeah. And a lovely human being just yeah. set up a mic yeah. and 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 it was really amazing to just. I I went to Roswell's uh, roughly every month for the last three or four years, and I would just go because I was yeah it was from 2015, 2014. Yeah, even 2013 because I was I was I was I was uh, doing a, a a master's degree then, and I would I remember uh, right. um, doing all of that and going there, um, and I used to just sit and play with him. And the right. best thing about Roswell playing with him is that he's just a joyous yeah a joyous uh, man uh, on so many levels. Yeah. Um, but it was the same look on his face and the same presence, except he was just sitting and hanging and told me what they, I don't even know if they told me what they wanted, but I had just played for maybe 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And that was a take. And right. until right now I hadn't, I didn't realize you were playing the rhythm guitar. Part, oh yeah. That was me. Yeah. Which well, I it, was, it was just a really similar experience. I just went around there and Roswell was sitting there. And so you did it in the house as well? I did it in the house. Oh, wow. Yeah. And Reggie was there and we plugged in a bass. Um, I think I did the bass first. Yeah. And it was just like, Oh, I feel some, you know, feeling yeah. my way. And Roswell's going, yeah, you know. Yeah. Oh, that feels good, you know. <laughs> right, right. And then we had the bass and, the, you know, uh, and then I was like, oh, I could play like a rhythm part or something. And uh, same thing, you know. So um, I, I don't know if it was before or after you. I've not... Had to be after because I remember hearing the rhythm part and the bass part right. and the horns. It was like overlaid trombone parts. That's right, yeah. And it kind of had this... Um, um, <clears throat> I would say Marvin Gaye kind of feel. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it was pretty. It was just a. It's a lovely little track. That it's um. Well, nice to record with you. Yeah, I didn't know that we had. Um, I I don't know whether we were um. Had we played together at that point? I don't know. We might have done a gig with Jerry. I, that's where I'm. Uh, it's yeah, a bit of a blur. It's all a blur. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. But talking about your discography, um. Uh, that was a fun tune. I'm glad to know that that was both me and you on mm. that. Um, uh, but if we, I, I, so I went back and listened, uh, I didn't listen to that one this week cause I had heard it already a bunch of times, but I went and so I'm, I'm embarrassed to say I didn't know who Paul Brady was. Ah, yeah. Paul. So I, that was, so going back and if we just talk about that era, let's just yeah. call it the eighties. Yeah. Is that cool? Yeah. That's what they called it. That's what they called it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if there's another verb. Uh, yeah. I, I have no idea if there's, an, it was just the 80s. Okay. Yeah. The 80s. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so Boy George. Yeah. Boy George. You worked with, and I think you did, you did production as well as play on and also composed or. Uh, you- yeah. I wrote with, with George and um, Bobby Z who w- uh, was the drummer with, uh, Rev- the Revolution, Prince's first band. He was the, he was the original drummer before Sheila E came in. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So Bobby, um, you know, Bobby's from Minneapolis, and he he was he was pretty close to Prince. You know, I only know the keyboard player from. Oh, because he has the same name as you. Wait, from Matt from Fink. Fink. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, doctor. He's a Do- doctor. Dr. Fink. <laughs> doctor. Is, is, is he a Matt? I don't know. Dr. Matt Fink. He yeah, is that, Matt Fink. Yeah. totally Matt Fink. Yeah. He used to oh, wear wow. a mask at the city. He was way ahead of his time. He had a mask as well. Yeah, wow. that's that's the revolution, right? That's the, That was the revolution. Yeah, so okay. Bobby was the drummer. Gotcha. Wow. Yeah. I didn't and, realize um, that. But I, I met George through, um, do you know Stuart Levine? 
great producer. He, he I know the name, but I, I Joe Cocker and um, oh, BB King, okay. the Crusaders, famously. Okay, that, that string of great Crusaders records. Okay, Southern Comfort, all of that. That's all produced by Stuart. So I'd, I'd met Stuart. Shall I just go, go down this? Yeah, go down I, the I, rabbit hole. I'm going fascinated. down the rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah, please. So, um, you know, so early eighties, I was, I was kind of, you know, I was starting to get a few sessions, and, and um, uh, I think, I, yeah, I was already working with Paul Brady actually at, as well at that point. And, we, and this is all in England. This is all in England okay. and Ireland actually to some degree. Ireland, okay. Europe, anyway, it was all in Europe. And um, Stuart, um, who actually lived. I don't, I don't think he lives there anymore, but he lived in Big Indian, which is just up the road from Woodstock. Sure. Very, very near to here. And he had a production company called uh, Olive, Oliveira Productions, because, you know. Oliveira. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So um, he came to London um, just looking, looking to do some interesting stuff as a producer. And uh, he worked with a guy called Stan Campbell, who had, had a record called Free Nelson Mandela, which is a big hit. So I made a record with uh, Stuart producing and Stan, and uh, Hugh Masekela was on that record. Cause... Oh my God, my dad used to play with Hugh Masekela. Oh really? Yeah. See, small world. Small world. Yeah. Yeah. So Stuart and and Hugh used to be roommates when Hugh first came to the states. Oh, wow. He was sort of in exile, you know. So there's a whole backstory to that. But any anyway, so Hugh was on that record as well. So I kind of hit it off with. Stuart and it was like you know I, he liked my playing you know so um so the the boy george thing I'll, I'll come back to the poor thing as well but the boy george thing was um i was actually playing with paul brady we were touring the west of ireland and because there's no cell phones in those days so <laughs> yeah. um it was really hard to get hold of people <laughs> right and, and i was staying in this little tiny motel in the west of ireland we were playing with paul we were playing some Really out of the way place, just you know, mm -hmm. it's kind of a little bit cowboyish, but it was great. It was great fun. It was a great band. Um, Paul's an incredible singer songwriter. Yeah. Um, so I'm in this motel, and the guy from the, you know, the reception guy, just kind of came and banged on the door and said, "Hello, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I have a phone call for you. It's some guy from America. You know, it's Stuart. Anyway, uh, so this would have been about '85, even now. I guess it's like late '85." It was when Culture Club had split up, gotcha. which is Boy George's band, and um, they'd all fallen out pretty fast, like <laughs> pop bands do. Yeah. So, um, what an amazing run, though. Oh, they had a great run. You oh know? my god! But then, they, then it just did what pop bands often do. They were like, "Oh, we all hate each other." <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, so then they, the record company had gotten to cut a long story short. Um, so, yeah, the Stuart on the phone, and he says, "Oh." You know, you know, George is like, he's out of Culture Club, you know, so Virgin have asked me to produce a record. And uh, and he's getting a lot of press intrusion at the moment. So we thought we'd do it in Air Montserrat Studios, which was George Martin's place. Oh, okay. So I'm going, hmm, this sounds good, you know. This sounds good. And he's yeah. like, and we're going to get Lamont Dozier's coming from, you know, the Motown guy. And I'm like, this is like dream What are the odds dream that you're mentioning true. the same person that I, I just mentioned? Wow. Right. And and he's like, yeah, so we'll fly out to Montserrat for a month. You know, it's really nice. We'll stay in George Martin's house. And he's like, are you in? I'm like, <laughs> I have to think of it. No, I mean, I was like, are you kidding? You yeah. know? Yeah. So that's how I met George. And, um. And yeah, the next, you know, I guess it was about three, four weeks later, we flew out to, you couldn't fly direct actually in those days. It was, I think we flew to Miami, then to Antigua, and then a really scary little plane. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I bet. Um, and then there we were, you know, in this amazing studio. It's a beautiful Neve desk on a, on a tropical island. Wow. So, um, you know, I was, I was pretty lucky, you know, because, I mean, what you think, well, what, what if I hadn't been at the motel? And, or the guy had gone, oh, I don't know, you know, I don't know that. Yeah. When if you didn't play as brilliantly as you do. Well, that's yeah. very kind. But, yeah. <laughs> so that's how I met George. And then we, you know, we just worked together for, I guess, I don't know, through the 80s, the rest of the 80s, we on and off, we were writing. and um, So Lamont Dozier is writing with you? He co-wrote most of that first album. I, I, yeah, I only wow. co-wrote one track on that Um I was like new, so I was like, but then the next record um, was not Stuart. Um, Bob, and then Bobby was up to produce it. And then, um, so we got together, myself, Bobby and George, and started writing Wow, for the album. And then that became um, an album called, there was actually two that spun off from that, Hi-Hat, and this other one was called Tense Nervous Headache. <laughs> I know that was that a slogan here. <laughs> it was that, it was an advertising slogan in the UK. Tense, nervous headache. Take Advil or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. So it was, that was the name of the album. Tense, nervous headache. Wow. Yeah. Um, I don't remember that advertising campaign, but that sounds. <laughs> that sounds so that's how right. that all happened, you know. And it was just great fun, and you know, not to go back into the money thing, but there was, you know, it was Virgin Records. It was Richard Branson. There was money. Just. The music business was just awash with money because they were just selling bucket loads of bits of plastic. Yeah. Which is probably terrible for the planet, you know, but that's what it was. So, um, you know, so we were, we were just having a great time, you know, really just being flown all over the place and making records. And and that's how I ended up coming to this area, actually. It was Stuart Levine. He seems to be a really key character, actually. Mm. Who, um, he got me to come over to do, do an album... Um, with a band that nobody would have heard of, actually, but in uh, Bezel Studios, you know, Albert Grossman's place. I, I, I'm not familiar with that. Oh. Where is that? Before your time. Um, <laughs> well, you know the Bearsville Complex. Oh, we, I'm sorry, you said there. Bearsville. Bearsville, sorry, it's my, my accent. Um, yeah, so... You've been old... here long enough. Could you please... <laughs> this is why you couldn't Bears, get back in the country. Bearsville. They heard, yeah. your, they yeah. heard the accent and... Yeah. No, you yeah. can't go back. Said, Can you tone that down a bit? <laughs> So just, I don't know, did you ever work there? Bearsville, the studio, like up the hill on Rick's Road? No. So, Bearsville Theatre, of course. Right. Yeah. So originally, there's, I, I'm told the studio is still there because it was an amazing studio. Dylan worked there, the band, all these great things were done. It had a, a particular sound oh, that you just... The room was just magic, you know? Yeah, yeah. So uh, Stuart got me over to work on on this record, which um, I think it did come out eventually. It was a band called Lies, Damn Lies. But... Um, the thing was, I came to Bearsville Studios and I just fell in love with the the whole setup. And it was all, almost like going to Mecca a bit. You know? Yeah, yeah. Because I knew that Todd had done a lot of stuff at Ut on the in, both there and at the Utopia Soundstage. And, you know, so that was when I sort of went, hmm, yeah, I think I'd like to kind of maybe live here at some point. But it wasn't, it wasn't in the stars at that, at that time for all sorts of reasons. But, um, but yeah, then this is the eighties. We're talking. About we're still now. in the eighties. Still, you know, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and I was also working in another band. There was so many different things going on. So I was working with Paul. I was working in a band called the Penguin Cafe Orchestra, which was a very left field instrumental thing. 
but also David Sylvian Band, which is what, how, you know, David Torn. Sure. Yeah. So David Torn lives in Woodstock. So um, I was in a band with him. We did a world tour um, called In Praise of Shamans or Shamans. Do you say Shamans or Shamans? I don't believe in either one. <laughs> okay. No, I'm <laughs> Those medicine people, <laughs> yeah. you know. So we did, yeah, we did a world tour. It's like, shamans. Shamans. Yeah. Shamans, yeah. yeah. Sham, not shamans. <laughs> not, not, no, that's a... <laughs> well, to Matt, it's the same. <laughs> yeah. Shamans. That's funny. So it was a very sort of interesting and slightly wacky tour in sure. all sorts of ways, which you call a tour that, that's asking for trouble, really. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. all sorts of weird stuff happened as well. But um, what was great was I, I got to play with Dave and hung out with David and we we got on pretty well and he ended up playing on my record when I eventually made it but um oh, wait are you talking about the 2017 release yeah we, we, okay. yeah so that's way up the road but mm -hmm. but we we'd stayed in touch you know we we stayed in touch after that because you know you, you've done that you've both probably done that you know going out on the road with people it's it's a sort of there's an interesting kind of intimacy about that process of just making music with people on the road and traveling together and seeing them first thing in the morning. Yeah. First thing in the afternoon. Right. Seeing their moods, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 The days when they go, oh, God, 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 I just want to go home, you know, and then all, all that stuff, you know? Yeah. And that was just me, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, that was a, it was a really, I guess I was in, you know, I was, well, how old was I then? I don't know. I guess I was in my 20s. I was going to say, probably your late, yeah, 20s. 20s. Mid to late tw 20s. Tw 20s into early 30s. You know, when when we've all got loads of energy. How old are you? 24. There you go. <laughs> You're right in there, You're you right see. There, it's all yeah. happening, you know. Uh, I still have energy, I think, but but this is a, it was a conjunction it was a time, wasn't it, of, you know, if you had the sort of energy to go with that, it seems crazy now, but there was so much going on. And it's like, I wow, I can play with all these different bands. I'm going to have to manage my diary a bit, but this is great, you know. Yeah, I was, when when you believe in, every, it seemed like an abundance of projects that you could believe in, that yeah. at that point, you don't have to think about energy. That's your motivation for doing, for just doing what you're doing. It was, everything yeah. seemed so exciting. Yeah, and just and just really just moving towards the things that, that come towards you and that, uh, that have an energy. Like Paul, you know, first time I heard Paul, which was, um, I can't even remember now, it doesn't really matter, but I heard his music. Oh, I know, actually, I was playing, uh, I was. I first met him in Dublin. It would have been 83 even, or 84. I was playing with Joan Armour Trading, who's another great artist. I don't know if you know her stuff. Incredible. And um, we were playing at the Dublin showground, and he came along, and he knew somebody in the band, and we just met. Hi, you know. And then about six months later, um, I got a call from his manager, I think. Wow. And... Um, Oh, Paul's looking for a bass player. And I just loved his music. I just, yeah, great, great, fantastic. And that's how I ended up working a lot in Ireland and then producing a couple of records of his, um, which in a way he took a chance on me, you know, I think, you know, I wasn't like a big name producer. I guess I was cheaper. <laughs> no. Um, I, I mean, I was, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because it was the era of the big name producers. And, and you know, the thing is, could you afford those guys, you know? Right, right. Because they were like, well, yeah, I'll do that. You know, that'll be uh, 20,000 a track, you know? And I was like, 
I'll just do it. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. no, I'll do it. You know? So I wanted to talk about, so the, the one record I did, uh, I forget how many records that Paul Brady did in that era, but there seemed to be a, there's quite a lot. There's quite a I'm, lot. I'm yeah. on quite a few of them and I produced two of them. So yeah. on, I couldn't figure out I'm on, uh, I think it's called back to center. Oh yeah. That was the first one I produced. Yeah. So you did produce that. Okay. Yeah. You also played bass on that. Yeah. And some other bits probably, but yeah, mainly bass. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, I wanted to talk to you about that process as far as, um, well, when I looked at like, I don't know if it matters to you, but I'm always fascinated by people that you seem to equally produce as much as you do perform on yeah. albums. And, um, is there, is it a different process for you depending on what you're doing? Number one. And were you writing, were you co-writing anything in there or is this simply a matter of orchestrating the sessions? Um, I wasn't co-writing because Paul's very much a, a, a songwriter. So he comes in with a song, generally speaking. I mean, it might be a, the odd line that's not quite finished, but he's he's very good at coming in, you know, unlike some people, you know, he, he'll have a, he's got the song. And, yeah, it, so and it'll be a, great, you know, uh, it'll be a great lyric. And, and he's got very strong ideas about how the harmonic movement happens, and which is great. So, but... He was also very open to, to, to treatments because he'd come from a folk music background, Paul. And, um, I've, you know, he, he, he was a pure folky, actually, for many years. And he took some stick from his fans, certainly in Ireland, when he started making kind of more so-called rock albums. Yeah, it sounds straight up 80s. Yeah. Like it sounds like the era. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't the first album he'd done like that. He'd done another one. Um, maybe two even, um, but, but that was, it was a, I mean, people tell me, it's hard for me to know when you're really involved with something, but people tell me it was a kind of a, a real breakthrough album in Ireland. I think it was number one in Ireland for a while. Um, and I think that what we tried to do with that, um, was in a way sort of touch all those bases because he'd made a couple of records before that, after he sort of stopped doing the folk stuff and they they were absolutely rock records, you mm -hmm. know. But on Back to the Centre, there's there's stuff that's there's actually a, a track called Homes of Donegal. I don't know if you listen to that. I didn't. I don't think I. Yeah. That, I mean, that's a real kind of like a folk song. Oh, okay. But um, and there's other stuff on there. But it was like we we were trying to kind of walk that line, you know. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's kind of the, the 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 sound palette is kind of in some ways fairly typical of an '80s rock record. But um, actually what's going on is, is I don't know how much that comes over, but it's a lot more subtle than that. And uh, it did it did get some awards. I think it was Album of the Year that, that year in, in Ireland. Oh, um, wow. And, um, and we were pretty pleased with it because it, the, the making of it, it did get a little complicated. There were other producers involved, which didn't, didn't quite work out for various reasons. And um, so I ended up sort of just kind of holding the, holding the baby. <laughs> Okay. So I think it says on the album, overall production, you know, but I mean, I did kind of produce the record um, and some of the stuff I was, uh, I was able to do from scratch, you know, and just get the musicians in and just work. And some other stuff was like maybe a third finished or, you know, even maybe half finished a couple of tracks. And then we had to figure out what to do with that, you know, because Paul was like, well, I, I really like that vocal or I like that, you know, I don't want to lose that. And of course this is pre-digital. So yeah. we were talking about tape. Yeah. yeah. You know, and there were, that was it. There was no, did nothing significant digital at all at that stage other than things like emulators and stuff. Mm -hmm. 
which was a sampling keyboard. So, you know, if you liked something, you were going to use that piece of tape, <laughs> you yeah. know, yeah, yeah. and figure out how, how to work with it. So, um, so it was a really interesting project. And there was a, there's a, there's a track on there. Um, I think my input, as it often is as a producer, is to say, um, how about doing it this way? Or, or sometimes just, well, that's enough. There's a track on there that became, um, it's a, it became a real anthem in Ireland, actually. It's called The Island, and it's a kind of peace song. And it's just Paul and a piano, um, a guy called Kenny Craddock, who was Van Morrison's keyboard player for many years. And mm. um, we, we put it down. I'd been listening to some Ricky Lee Jones at the time, who I love. And, you know, some of her stuff would have this beautiful sort of bear thing. And Paul brought this song, and I said, that's an amazing song. He just played it to me in the studio. And I went, oh, wow, you know, it's so powerful. And I felt like I wanted people to have the experience that I just had of listening to him play the song. Yeah, yeah. But he said, oh, I don't think I can really, you know, I'm not sure I could quite play it again, you know, you know, the piano. So let's get Kenny to learn the song, you know, and then all you've got to do is sing the song. And um, and maybe that's going to be enough. And he was, you know, Paul was sceptical, understandably, because <laughs> mm-hmm. they'd be saying, well, don't we going to need some more stuff on there, you know. So anyway, Kenny learned the song. We did loads of takes. We got a great take with Paul singing. It was wonderful. And then Phil Palmer is a great was... guitar player. Oh, my God. He played I... a solo on that. And I just, and that's, in a way, that was the production role on that track. It was just, I just went... We almost had a little fight over it, almost, you know. I mean, I love Paul. He's a dear friend. And he I think he would probably remember this. It wasn't like a fight fight, but I, it was like, he was going, oh, it's so bare, you know. And I was going, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's just leave it like that. Anyway, you know, we left it like that. And um, and it it was used by um, one of the the, 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 the sort of peace party, I think they were called the SDLP in, in Northern Ireland. As a, as a kind of anthem, and, you know, and we would go out and he'd sing that song and the whole, I remember we did, we did some festivals in Ireland, you know, but late, late in the 80s into the 90s, Paul was a really big artist. Um, he still is, you know, he's kind of a national treasure in Ireland. And you, thousands of people singing this song back, you know, he just stopped singing, they all sing the song. And it's, it's amazing, you know, just to, to have played any sort of a part in it. I didn't play on, even play on it, but I felt like I had some kind of contribution by just saying, well, that, that's a great song and let's just, just have the song. Wow. You know, so that's, that's, a, that's a production story. Yeah. But it was very much coloured by things like, I don't know if you know the first John Lennon Plastic Ono Band album. You know that record? Um, I, I should just be... Four Imagine, anyway. Yeah. I, so it's the one he did after the Beatles and just after he came out of Primal Therapy and it's like all this... It's Anyway, it's so naked. It's worth checking out if you okay. don't know it. It's called Plastic Ono Band, but not the one with Yoko kind of doing loads of stuff on it. There's two. Um, it's it's Lennon. Um, yeah. I mean, that was a big, big record for me as a teenager and I just went, Wow. Because, you know, like a lot of us, I was into musicianship, you mm-hmm. know, and I still am, of course. Sure. But, um, you know, John Lennon was not, um, tell me if I talk too much, but, you know, John no, no, Lennon. It's kind of the idea behind this. <laughs> is it? Okay. So, <laughs> so you, know, you know, Lennon wasn't like, you know, a great jazz guitarist or anything, but he, he had a feel and a vibe. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think 
I, much as I loved the Beatles, you know, I, I'd gotten into that thing of, you know, I was into Steely Dan in the early 70s and, you know, and then somebody played me this record and it was so emotionally raw and almost like primitive in a way. And I thought, ah, oh, okay, music can be like that too. It can have that place in the culture of just exposing stuff, you know. Because yeah. he was singing about losing his mother and I don't know, it's not everyone's cup of tea, you know, but I thought it was amazing. So I think in some ways, you know, even when something's more sophisticated musically, I've got a tendency to look for that in your face thing, you know, and that's probably what I, I'm best at as a producer, probably. Well, that's great. I I didn't, yeah. I wouldn't have gotten that just by listening yeah. to that album. So that's wonderful to hear it. What sort of what your process is. Yeah. The rawness of it, you know, and a lot of Paul's vocal and Paul's an incredible singer and, um, you know, having the vocal kind of up front, so you can really hear, you know, you can hear whatever it is, whether it's exuberance or desperation or mm -hmm. sadness, you know, to me, that's, that's what lifts music to a whole nother level, you know? Yeah. You know, even Steely Dan. I mean, I think Donald Fagan's a great singer. I don't know. I think he's an amazing singer, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and you really get inside his, his view of the world, you yeah. know, which is like that sort of, that lovely sort of bittersweet mixture of just a little bit of cynicism, maybe, or very worldly wise and mm -hmm. nostalgia. You know, you really feel it because the vocal is so, it's just right there. Yeah. You yeah, know, I, I you know. it's a combination of that raw, there's a lot of emotion yeah. in it. Not that I could pinpoint yeah. how. Yeah. But his brilliant command of 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 language or the poetry that 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 he, it, it's a great combination of like he exudes the emotion of what he's actually talking about in it, a exactly. raw kind of way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Yeah. The Nightfly is like one of my oh, favorite records of all that time. That record. And and I mean I, Steely Dan is so amazing. I love some of those records up there yeah. just as much, but The Nightfly is so like the, the the way it's like autobiograph autobiographical absolutely a way but yeah, it all yeah. like musically cohesively like works together it's yeah i love that i love donald fagan so much he's one of my favorite composers him and walter becker together i mean yeah 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 yeah, yeah on that album there's a i always sense i think he might have said this in an interview as well that it's like it's it sort of almost derives from the dreams he had as a young man of what how he was going to grow up or how the world is going to be. And of course it turned out to be nothing like that, but, but there's, there's a lovely sort of innocence about it as well. I love that, you know, where he's singing about, I hear you're into Brubeck, you know? Yeah. yeah. And his, <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 And his songs do sort of have that, yeah. uh, dream, like, like a suspension yeah. of, of display. I, I don't know how to put it, but yeah. they, they do have that kind of feel like they could be, they make more. They make sense as a dream. You know how dreams that make no sense make sense when you're. Oh my god! When you're in the middle Absolutely, of it. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I never thought about that, but it it, it yeah. does. It does have that yeah. kind of effect. He's an artist, a pioneer. Yeah. We gotta have some music on the new frontier. <laughs> that was the world I grew up in. You know of of um. Yeah, you know my dad's records and like post-war. I mean, I, I I'm a little bit younger than. Donald, of course, but I guess he was even more steeped in that post-war optimism and, mm. you know, the new frontier, mm -hmm. you know. Yes, it can only get better. What could possibly go wrong, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, now yeah. we know. Now we know. Twenty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Now yeah. we know. Um, well, I guess while we're in that area, before we go back to the '80s again, mm. I mean, what were your early influences in music? What were you hearing as a child that kind of formed your taste? Well, I was born in '58, um, so you know, rock and roll was was coming in, but it was it, there was still a lot of um, skiffle, right? That's what you were skiffle. Yeah, yeah, skiffle was a big, big thing. I don't even um, know what that is. Skiffle was like. Um, <laughs> like a 1950s kind of punk musical it was it was it was british teenagers mostly there was a guy called lonnie donegan he was the king of skiffle really he was i think he actually came from an irish background but um he would take these songs like rock island line or you know lead belly songs and uh, and it was very low budget the Beatles were a skiffle group originally, and they often had like just a tea chest bass, you know, not even a real bass. Yeah, it's a rock and roll with an upright. Yeah. What, so like the early like Elvis rock, recordings. Rockabilly-ish. Yeah, rockabilly. like rockabilly type stuff. And um, it was it was huge. It, it really took off in the, I guess, the mid-50s um, before people that, you know, rock and roll was, I don't know, it was happening, but it hadn't really hit big in the UK to the same degree, I think. And there was more, people were more into uh, blues, actually. Blues and um, Sister Rosetta Tharp. And they were actually coming to the UK and they were gigging in the UK. So, um, And then Muddy Waters. Yeah, Muddy Waters. And there was a trumpet player who I knew in his old age, and my partner Annie played with, called Humphrey Littleton. Do you ever hear him? No, but it's a great name. It's a great name. (laughs) People just called him Hump, so I'll call him Hump. He died a few years ago, but Hump... um, he was a trumpet player. He'd been in the army during the war. Then he got um, demobilized, you know, and um, and it was the late forties. And he he was really into like Louis Armstrong, but also the whole blues thing, mm-hmm. you know. And so um, it it was an era of like, well, why not, you know? So there was this basement in Oxford Street in in Soho in London. And they called it the Hundred Club. I mean, it was really just a basement. It's pretty kind of scuzzy in many ways. But there was a bar <laughs> and a little stage. And uh, he started putting on these shows in the Hundred Club. And, and it took off, you know, and teenagers were coming. We're talking like late 40s, yeah. early 50s. Uh-huh. Uh, and I, yeah, I talked to him about it. He said, oh, it was, it was really wild, you know, because people were like, the war's over, you know. Yeah. So they were drinking and they were taking all kinds of stuff. And, uh, and, then, and then he found like he could get... People like Big Joe Turner, you know, yeah. that they, that they, some of them were because of segregation were actually struggling a bit in the States. So you get these guys over and say, you know, just get, come over, I guess on a boat sometimes, not even a plane. And um, I'll get your band and we'll, you know, we'll go on the road or whatever and we'll play at the 100 Club. So Humph was doing that. And um, we, this was in the early 50s. And to some degree, that became, that also fed into that skiffle thing because. As often with the Brits, they didn't quite know what they were doing because because there was wasn't really a tradition of jazz education or anything like that. So um, you know it was all a bit DIY, you know, and they were just kind of making stuff up. And um, I know Sister Rosetta came o- over, who was amazing. I mean, you're yeah, right, she's incredible. <clears throat> and um, yeah, not <clears throat> not really that much of a sister of Bible accounts, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> but she was married to a preacher, wasn't she? And she was a gospel singer. And she was amazing. She played great guitar. So all that was happening. And um, what's where that? Where I'm going with this is that there were 
the people, the kids that were seeing these kind of American blues artists in the 50s at places like the 100 Club with Humph playing his trumpet, amongst them were people like Eric Clapton, Jimmy Page, <coughs> Jeff Beck, you know, who later formed bands like the Yardbirds on, and played in those places. In and fact, all played with the Yardbirds, everybody. Right. Yeah, yeah, of You course. know that clip of them playing there in the film Blow Up? It's a great clip. Oh, I don't know. Oh, you got to I don't know. It. I mean, I've read, I've read... Um, all of the stories about them growing up and every yeah. month getting these, waiting for these albums to yeah. come out. <clears throat> yeah. And the Stones, of course, as well. So they were seeing these gigs and they were going, this is great music. But again, like, they didn't know quite how to do it because they, they were not black, you know. But they loved it. But they loved it. Yeah. And then they just sort of, in a way, they sort of slightly twisted it around and then they re-imported it back into this country. And that's the, that was the Rolling Stones and the whole British thing. It was the British invasion by proxy of being the American reinvasion. It, it was really. They yeah. were just bringing the music back, in a, back in a slightly yeah. different form, you know. And even the Beatles, you know, I mean, they were a rock and roll band at first. They, I know they, they went on the road. With, they supported Little Richard in the UK <clears throat> in the early 60s, and they were playing mostly rock and roll covers. And, and then, of course, the rest is history, but, you know, and then... Yep. And they took acid and yeah, <laughs> all bets were off, you know, but, yeah. but that's, yeah. And so, then after that, they all came back as jazz players. Is that what, <laughs> is that what happened? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think, I think Paul McCartney's got, I mean, he I always thought he was the most, probably the most musically skilled, right? The oh. video of him talking about how he came up with parts and he's singing all the parts. I forget yeah. what that's from. Yeah. That's amazing. You realize what you're, I, 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 you know, I always considered him astoundingly brilliant and just. Uh, oh, he's just, amazing. But when you see him actually just start singing the instrumental parts and saying which instrument it is. Yeah. And then singing that part, like the French horn. He's like, and then you can have French horn and he's singing it. it he's he's a, profound. He, he's a genius. Yeah. And he doesn't read music. I, I think because I know a couple of guys that work with him and, you know, when he did those more symphonic pieces and so you get people to... Well, then I'm sorry, but where I teach, I'd have to fail him. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Right? F. Right. Yeah. But, you know, he's just, he's just, <laughs> he's just exudes music. It's just, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. He really does. And, and, yeah. and, and no matter what he does, just has that. Well, John too, though, was the same. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a slightly bluesier sort of sens sensibility, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Paul always had that. Is, is it, if I say music hall, does that mean anything to you? Sure. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, I think he's, he had that music hall thing going on, which is also, I've gone way around the houses, but, you know, <laughs> you did say what were the early influences. So music hall was very big in England, you know, which was people singing kind of often quite comedic songs, you know, um, like a Beatles song, like your mother should know. Let's get all up and dance to a song. You know, that that's very sort of steeped in that old music hall tradition. There like show tunes and show tunes. Like but that. it was kind of slightly different to here in the US. It was much more about Broadway shows and it was more, it was sophisticated and it had a sort of jazzy thing, you know, Gershwin or, I mean, no, not all of it, but Cole Porter. It was quite sophisticated it was less sophisticated. I think that's the Brit thing. Okay. It's like a little more kind of grainy and a bit more. And um, I can really hear that in the Beatles at times, you know. Mm. And I grew up with that. You know, my mum and dad loved that stuff. 
my mum could sing a lot of those songs. My dad was, um, that's an early influence. My dad was a really keen amateur mu musician. He's been dead quite a few years now. They both have, but, you know, my one of my earliest memories was... Um, he played a lot of a lot of things. Some of them not very well, but, <laughs> but probably best. He was probably best on the piano. And um, there was a movie theater or cinema, as they would call them over there, um, just up the road from my house. We were living in a little house. It was a terrace, or you know, semi-detached. Yeah, they call it there. So you know, small house. You mm -hmm. know, not a big house. And um, and my dad in the fifties, he'd um, he would have loved to be a musician, but he. It was after the war. He had to make some money, and he he trained. He became, um, I guess you would call it, um, and he's like a surveyor, but it was like inspecting buildings, mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Um, so, so he was always going around buildings, and 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 the movie theater, they always had like a, sometimes an organ or at least a piano, and they'd had that since the twenties because of the silent, it's the silent movie, sure. So yeah. this movie theater, he was doing some work there, and they said, oh, we're getting rid of this piano. It was a grand piano. You know, and um, he was like, yeah, we'll have that, you know. So this, I, I think I was about four years old and this piano showed up. There's like three guys, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, my mum was like looking, going, oh my God. You know? <laughs> and it, it sort of came into the, the, the front room, which was smaller than this room. I mean, you know, it was not a big room. Um, maybe it was 10 by 12 or something, you know. And it was a big that's big. It was either a 10 foot. It might even been, I don't know. It was big. It was big, you know. And um, so this thing came in and it, I'm, I'm just, it's one of those vivid memories. I remember my dad sitting down and he played some kind of boogie woogie stuff. You know, and I was like four years old. I was like, what? This, <laughs> this is... And he helped me, you know, he's like, do you want to have a go? And I'm, you know, like tiny little fingers, you know, but I managed to sort of do like the left hand thing. I was going like two fingers uh -huh. and he, he played along and um, it's a really vivid memory, you know, and um, the piano didn't last that long, actually. It was, you know, it was chopped in for an upright, like not long after that, but it was it was loud, you know, it was so loud, you know, grand piano in a small room. Yeah. And the impression that that had on me, and maybe even the fact that I'm a bass player because it was a low end thing, you know. But the thing is, we needed to have like a dining table and some chairs. You couldn't just leave the top down and, and put a, a, a tablecloth and a I, setting I, on I it? I have no idea what conversations happened between my <laughs> mum and dad, but, you know, it, it went. And then, and then an upright piano came, which actually his mum died around that time, and it was her old piano. She was also a piano player, so. And um, and then that was that was another memory of just hearing him pick out things by ear. He had great ears. Yeah. So, um, and I think it was Beach Boys, early Beach Boys. I was probably I get around or something even earlier than that. Just hearing him sit at the upright piano and, oh, wow, that's amazing. He's playing that thing was coming out of there, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I guess by then I was like six, seven. And uh, I was like, I want to do that. I want to do that. <laughs> but I didn't get a guitar until I was maybe 10 or 11. I had to save up my, my pocket money. Call it that here? Pocket money? Uh, if we had any money, we we would probably <laughs> call it that. Yeah, yeah. yeah pocket change, I think. Yeah, is, yeah, 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 yeah. Kids had, you know, it's like, oh, here's your pocket money. And it was like, yeah, it wasn't much. 
Yeah, now it's Apple Pay. Yeah, right. <laughs> so you got a shilling or two shillings. It went up. You know, it was it was graduated as you got older. It's like, oh, next year I'll be I'll be eight and I'll get I got a raise. You know. Yeah, yeah. Now so we're doing anyway, some Bitcoin. Yeah, <laughs> Bitcoin. I saved it all up and I bought this Czechoslovakian acoustic guitar, which was just it was awful, but it was cheapest guitar in the shop uh-huh yeah the action was like this <laughs> you played slide then <laughs> and and there you go and that was it i was i was up and running i had a guitar you know yeah you were yeah wow. so this is now we're in the 60s is yeah we're in the okay. 60s yeah and the beatles are happening and beatles know. are happening yeah yep yeah yeah rolling stones are now happening i love the stones you know yeah they were the bad boys but we were getting a lot of American music as well, like Beach Boys, um, Sonny and Cher. I mean, even stuff like that. Motown. Motown was huge in England. Mm. We loved Motown. James Jameson. Mm. I didn't know that's who it was at the time because the musicians were anonymous. But I loved those bass lines. Oh. Well, yeah, I mean, every right. bassist in that era. Who doesn't love that bass? Yeah, right? Jameson, like, changed the game. It, absolutely. If you take Jameson out, out, there's, you know, the whole world changes. This is not really worth living in it at that point. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to live in that world. No, I don't want to live in that world <laughs> the, either. The D. Jameson world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, some people have tried to D. Jameson the world, but we don't listen to them. You know, that's. No. Uh, I literally said to uh, some students yesterday that, uh, and I just said this to you as well. I, I, I you know, I, I brought in a, a Stevie Wonder tune uh, to use as some ear training uh, exercises and uh, to take ear training, uh, what to take from it ear training wise. And I basically started out by saying, if you don't like Stevie Wonder, yeah. it's, it's you. <laughs> it's not Stevie. Like if you, like you need to check something. I, I, I know that yeah. I, I am no. being silly, but at the same time. No, I get it. <laughs> who doesn't like Stevie? Like, yeah. yeah. And I couldn't find out who played bass on it. It sounds like uh, it could have been Jamerson on that particular, it was knocks me off. Uh, knocks me off my feet from the uh, songs in the key of life. I, 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 oh, uh, that, that no, I think that's his regular bass player, right? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, at that what's point, his name? okay. Uh, oh, he's so good. Uh, he's great. Yeah, well, it, well, it's not Jameson. I it had think. a little bit. The sound didn't yeah. sound that dark sound, but, yeah, I, but yeah, the yeah. feel was yeah amazing. It's, it's the other guy. Oh yeah, and no, I mean he's like the regular guy. Yeah, at yeah. a certain point, because okay. he's he's on. Um, oh, I should know this because I did watch. I wish and all that. Yeah, I did yeah. watch the video yeah. when they had like a reunion of that album. I don't know if you saw that. But I didn't see that. It's like twenty five years later. And what they, what a record! Oh my god! I mean, there's a string of those. I mean, that's another Nathan Watts. Nathan Watts. Yeah. Thank you. How could I? I was going to say Nathan East, and it's like, no, it's not. <laughs> but, you know, he had the right first name. Yeah. But that string, Inner Visions, you know, Songs oh. in the Key of Life, um, Music of My Mind. Music of My Mind, yeah. Well, Hotter the man July. that, what's that? Hotter Than July. Yeah. Yeah. The How? man that did those albums, though, did you know Malcolm Cecil when, when, when you were? I didn't. I mean, oh, okay. I, I loved his work. Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah. And I knew that he was around here. I mean, he had passed recently, didn't he? He just passed. Yeah. yeah. I mean, rest in peace. What Tonto. A, oh, oh yeah. my God. What a lovely genius Malcolm uh, was. But yeah. Those, uh, he, was a, he was a Brit, right? Yeah. Tonto. Yeah, he was. Tonto. Yeah, he lived uh, right in Saugerties. Yeah. And he had Tonto out there for many years. I, I played believe. it. Oh my God! Yeah, I, I, you walked into his yeah. uh, to Malcolm Cecil's studio, and I, I've laughed about this ever since the day I walked in. You walk in, 
and right on the monitor you, you're standing right next to it is the grammy i think he won the grammy for engineer of the year for yeah. uh fulfilling this first finale oh wow he was either nominated i think that's the one he won yeah. um yeah and it's just sitting there and i remember thinking like if i had won a grammy I would just buy a big enough chain <laughs> and put a hole yeah. through the horn and where like like that would be like, like I would just put it in I would just put it in your face as soon as we met you know like it, it, it was just sitting there and he had yeah. gold records because he had done so much with uh, Gil Scott Heron and the Isley Brothers. I was going to say yeah, those records are great. Yeah, you know, with Brian Jackson and Gil Scott Heron. Oh, and well, he had a music company mm. with Gil. Uh, they did like fifteen albums together. Yeah. He's another great artist. It's Probably a bit underrated, I think, still. And yeah. Malcolm's also yeah. was a yeah. brilliant bassist. Like right. He was a, like he, when he first yeah. came to the States, he was with Jim Hall. Like that's right. who he was playing with. And, and that's yeah. how I met him. Here right. doing a, I did a gig with him that he just was on. Yeah. You know, and, and was Jerry playing drums on that? No, this was with, yeah. um, no, 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 I don't think no. there was, I don't think there was a, if I, I don't want to, I don't think there was a drummer on that gig. It was at a right. library in, in Rhinebeck. Right. Right. I think is um, and so there's probably <laughs> with the with the way it's the way a lot of great gigs <laughs> yeah. start out yeah. yeah but just because the there might have been a strict librarian there where they did not want drums in the library right is what I'm guessing right right but Malcolm um, and also played uh, upright bass on inner visions the, the, of course the, uh, yeah right? yeah that's yeah. because the apparently the the uh, the regular scheduled bassist didn't show up. Was that? It wasn't you. It, it wasn't me. <laughs> okay. No, but it, it, it's a great example of the accidental nature of things, isn't it? Yeah, it is. What you were just yeah, yeah, bringing it back to where you started. Yeah, it's it, it's like you know, so often people say, "Oh, well, how did that?" And you, the more you look at it, it's just a series of of, of total couldn't have planned that if you tried. No. Yeah. No. Well, yeah. What's your game plan for your career? It's like oh, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I, and I feel I don't know. I mean, you you might you might know this, but it, you know, I, I feel like sometimes there's more pressure to have that now because you know, musical education. I mean, musical education when I was growing up was certainly in England there wasn't any other, unless you wanted to be a classical musician. There was there was there was no jazz courses. There were no certainly no rock courses. That was just a joke. <laughs> um, and and nobody was thinking marketing because none of it had been invented yet, really. No, certainly not for the kind of music that we would play. But now I kind of, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like it's like, oh, you're supposed to be able to, you know, everyone's supposed to be like a little mini TV station. Well, how are you going to market yourself? And I mean, I know it's part of it, but I don't know. I'm not sure whether you can really pin things down like that. Like, well, as if saying that, you know, it's like, well, that's a G7. So I ought to be able to do that with the whole of the world, you know, and, and, know exactly how to proceed mm -hmm. rather than just going well i'll just keep showing up and you know say yes to stuff and some of it you know if you throw enough mud some of it's going to stick i i don't no matter how much you plan <laughs> that's pretty much the way it is i think so yeah unless you yeah yeah, yeah you i mean yeah. Uh, you just keep doing it if there was a formula everyone would be doing it you know yeah you know but some big corporation would own the formula you well, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it exactly. just seems like uh, you're in the. Ooh, sorry. Oh, it's. I don't think you can hurt that mug. Okay. Um, no, I'm just the noise. Oh, well, too late. But we you already know, acknowledged it. Could be a nice track, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's, it seems like your career, like a lot of people, it seemed like that era though. I don't know if you had anything else you wanted to touch on as we move out of that era, but there just seemed to be an abundance of riches, uh, opportunities mm. where, where the, um, what's that expression where the inmates were running the asylum like like everybody yeah. like that was creative had enough had had seemed to have enough resources that you could get together and make something and and there was a lot of there was a lot of individual artists who were coming from a lot of different backgrounds yeah um i think that's true and i, I think also maybe part of it was that to some degree, though it had certainly started to shift in that period, but to some degree, the people who were populating the offices of the record companies were still quite rooted in that creative, you know, you know, like George Martin, I think, was originally an A&R guy. And it, you know, it was a sort of crossover. You know, Jerry Wexler was still alive and, that, and active. He wasn't doing as much as he had in the 60s, but he was around, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, Arif Mardin, you know, all these people who were very who bridged that gap between the business and the music was they were around and and I think that they were facilitators. And, well, and it's also you know. a role that's necessary. Absolutely. Like to allow, to yeah. give the artist space enough to create. Yeah. And absolutely. and the resources to someone to have the resources to to provide for that. Like yeah, it was definitely. a respected Yeah. It was a or I I'm get I, it seems like it is because there's an like all of these people that you work with all seem to have pretty stellar careers, at least as far as selling enough uh, albums to. Yeah, I think everybody was. We were all winners, you know. Uh, you know, they say a rising tide was it? A rising tide lifts all boats. Yes. Yep. Um, there, and it, there was that element, you know. It maybe didn't lift them all to the same degree, and some people got super wealthy, mm -hmm. and others were just doing okay, you know. And I was doing okay, and and that was great. I was very happy with that that's that's about as much as you could hope for yeah like, i was like and yeah. i never expected that you know i left school early because i wanted to get into a band and i was like well you know if i lost a couple of years that would be great you know <laughs> and and by the 80s i'm going well this is working yeah you know i can't even read music really you know i'm 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 kind of diy bit of a buffer you know mm-hmm imposter syndrome you know, like mad you know <laughs> but well i'm getting away with it um fooled them again fooled them again this, yeah it was some of that <laughs> but i think i was also learning you know what really works which is to basically you know show up and play in time you know that's it really uh I, that's a pretty <laughs> that's a pretty stellar uh description of great musicians show up play in time play in time yeah yeah it doesn't even have to be in tune necessarily. I mean, some <laughs> no. of the Beatles stuff's way out of tune, yeah. you know. But just have a groove, and uh, and a good song or whatever or a melody, and um, yeah, that's it. You yeah. know, and the rest is up to some other force that we don't get to, you know, know quite what that is. But um, yeah, and yeah. especially playing time, right? I mean, I never thought of it that way before, but. It is. Or play with people that can play in time. Yes. It, that's really important. <laughs> yeah. Recognize. <laughs> let, let, yeah. Let, let somebody else keep the time, but yeah. somebody's got to do it. And of course, in time is also somewhat, you know. That, yeah, but you know it when you feel it. Yeah. I mean, Ringo, people go, oh, Ringo. Actually, he does play in time. Yeah. yeah. You know. It's, Ringo's okay. He's going to be all right. I, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I think so. Or Charlie Watts, you know, some people. Oh. I've heard people say, "Oh, he wasn't a very good drummer." It's like, really. I've heard people say that. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, 
you know, and um, because he doesn't have the chops of a Steve Gadd or something like that, but um, he was just the he was the drummer for the Rolling Stones. Yeah, he was totally. Yeah, you know, and and to to the extent that he was off grid, it was exactly right. Yeah. Well, it's you like know. what Jer we had Jerry Murata here last week, and yeah. we were talking to him. And what, at one point, he says, "When I'm playing, I am at the absolute edge of what I'm capable of doing." Like yeah. he said, he's and and That's maybe that right? Yeah, yeah. He said, "I'm not holding a bunch of stuff in reserve." Right. Like I'm. Yeah. I'm at what I can, you know, and and it, I never thought about it like that, but it's a great way of looking at it. Yeah, every time you play with Jerry, from the time he sits at the drums and just does his when he's sound checking or when he plays the groove on any tune, yeah. It's time to play. It's infectious, it's beautiful, the sound of the drum. Yeah. Um and the feel of it, which also can bring I don't know if you had a question about the album uh I, so I did check out this week your album, oh, Dreamland. Yeah, Dreamland, yeah. In the pocket that it... Jerry. <laughs> Jerry, yeah. It's just from the ghosted note on the snare, it just seems like every bit of it is exactly where it needs to be. Yeah. It's got this... Or, it breathes organically and it, and it drives the... It doesn't matter if he's playing some... I mean, he does a lot of different sounds, percussion sounds on that recording. Yeah, um, yeah. But when he just straight up pocket, it's like you feel it. And for to feel it on mm -hmm. um, as you're streaming it, driving the, up the throughway, that's for real. Like there's something about that. So when he was saying that, or when you're saying Charlie Watts or Ringo, yeah. there's a, I don't know what it is. I just know it when I hear it. Yeah. I, I think I felt like, you know, because that, that album was like a long time coming. And Dreamland. That, Dreamland. Your album. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, weirdly, I'd never, you know, I'd always sort of thought, oh, I must do an album, you know. But I was so busy doing other stuff and I just never, it just never got around to it. And I was like, I reached a certain point where I'd seen something somewhere. So it was like, don't let your, don't die with your music still inside you. Well, you know, it's some one of those apocalyptic things. I was like, oh, no. I'm gonna die with my music inside me, and um, so let's make a record, you know. And um, I knew, you know, we'd both, both myself and Jerry had worked with Joan Armour Trading. He did a lot of stuff with her um, back in the eighties again, uh -huh. and so I knew his playing. And we'd actually met. I don't think he even remembers it, but we had met um, at sort of festivals and things, you know, just like you do. Hi, he was playing with Peter Gabriel. And I was playing with Joe. That's a pretty good impression of Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's probably me as well. You know, because it, it was just a crazy time. There's yeah. so much going on. And yeah. Peter Gabriel was doing his whole big show thing. And um, anyway, so, so, but when I, I was like, oh yeah, I want to, I wanted David to be on it. I knew that. And I wanted my partner, Annie, Annie Whitehead, trombone. I wanted her to be on it. I wanted to really feature the trombone. It's amazing where the horn comes in. Like, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. That's it's not a section, mostly. You know, there's very little section stuff. It's just, I, I mean, I love the trombone. Um, you know, so I love Roswell as well. So, so, yeah. so I had those elements and it was like, Jerry, it'd be great. You know, Jerry, it'd be great. And I didn't really know, um, We, you know, we weren't in touch at that point, but, I, you know, I knew we had Dreamland and... I think I, I can't remember if I sent him an email. I think I sent him an email, not even saying, can we make a record? You know, not even that. It was just like, hi, 
<laughs> Hi, I'm from England, you know. So like spinal tap. Hi, I'm from England. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, we've got a house just over the way from you. And um and uh he called me. I'm, I think I must have put my phone number on. I'm pretty sure he called me. Like, hi, you know, yeah, hi, Jerry, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. hi, why don't you come over to the studio? And I was like, oh, okay, yeah. And I'm being very sort of British at this point, reserved. I've changed a bit over the last few years, you know, from be, probably being in this country. I was like, mm, yeah, well, well, that'd be nice. Yeah, I'll have some tea sometime. <laughs> and he, he's like, why don't you come now? And now you know? you're having <laughs> <Yeah>. coffee. <laughs> That's right. I'm like, yeah, everything's changed. Yeah, yeah. So he goes, well, come now. It's so, you know. Where are you? I'm like, oh, I'm just on soccer. He's like, yeah, it's five minutes away. Come to the studio now. So, uh, so off I went to with 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 Annie. She was with me at the time. We were just there in our little house, and uh, we met Jerry at the studio and um, just talked a bit, you know. And um, he said, "What do you do?" I said, "Well, you know, I've got some songs." So I played him a song on the piano, and he just goes, "We should make a we should make a record. We should make a record." And um. So we made a record. Yeah. So then he was the drummer, you know, and that's how that, that's how that worked. Yeah. So that was the core of the band was it was sort of me playing the bit, various bits I do, Annie and Jerry and David Torn, who came in and just played sort of completely wild. Um, you know, we set him up in Dreamland. We just had the whole room kind of mic, you know. Okay. That's his thing. And loops and all kinds of stuff going on. Well, I wanted to ask you about because now I'm yeah. not sure who's playing guitar. Because if it's you, I have a bone to pick with you because it sounds astounding and that's just simply not fair. But I have, uh, <laughs> I was listening to, let me, uh, it's, I think it's the, it's, is it about a man, like a, uh, the heart? This man is dangerous. Yeah. Who's, is that you playing guitar in there? The, the solo? Yeah. The solo at the end is David. Okay. I'm, I'm playing, I'm, generally speaking, I'm playing the rhythm parts. Okay. I've, there's a couple of solos that I mean, it's, it's almost... All of them are David. Yeah, that that solo. That's amazing solo. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm sorry it wasn't you because I was like, I was like, that's just not. Oh, even... I I wish. No, I, I mean, I that, yeah, that was one of those moments because you know, David's very. He's a very you know humble guy. You know, he's an incredible player and very it's very unique. Mind blowing. Mind blowing. What he does. And, and I'm just going, you know, like how it is. You could go, ah. Oh, yeah, can I play a solo here? You know, it'd be nice. You know, he done loads of loops and stuff. Play a solo here. Like, oh, okay, I'll try solo. And then, and then he just kind of, you know, it just like pinned to the back of the studio. You know, is it as loud as it sounds, or is it? It just, was pretty loud. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, it was pretty loud. I mean, it's perfect it's in like, the mix. Is that okay? I'm like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't, yeah. Don't even do another one. You know. I mean, that was amazing. And there's another one actually on the, on the I think it's on the first track he did a, another one that was like that. It's very different. It's just an insane kind of tapping. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're. I did. Uh, it's the, it's the, fir yeah, the first the, track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a sort of slightly pseudo classical middle section. But it's a funky tune, right? It's a funky tune, yeah, yeah, and then yeah. it goes to a kind of a progressive rock yeah. funk thing in the middle. And I said, "Can you play a solo over this?" And he was like, "Oh, well, I'll try." You know, and that was the solo. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. He might have a career ahead of him. I think I think maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe him and Ringo could try to get their careers off the ground. That, that's a band I'd like to hear. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to be the bass player in that band. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that'd be Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, well with that record, were you going to say something? 
Oh, I was just going to say that that first track, that was probably my favorite on the album. I love that oh, funky right. groove in the beginning. I mean, you and Jerry have such a cool like, uh, <laughs> like lockup together. I, I love oh, seeing you, you. you all together and reeling the years. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I, if there's something else you wanted to touch on before I no, kind of changed a little bit, I, I was yeah. curious to know uh, what m- maybe a couple of your favorite drum and bass uh, pairs are. Oh, that's a great question. Well, you know, the first one that popped into my head when you said that was uh, Sly Dunbar and Robbie Shakespeare. No. Oh, my God. Hmm. Two Jamaican guys. Um, I think they're still working, but they did a lot of stuff in... um, They came out of that whole Kingston, Jamaica scene, and they were like... uh, Do you know the first Grace Jones album? Oh. Oh, wow. I do not either. Okay. I think it's called Night Clubbing. Um. That that was when they really sort of came to the attention of like the international, you know, thing. Um I so them and they they, they did albums with people like Joe Cocker. Oh, okay. And they, and they brought this sort of Kingston Jamaica it's not reggae exactly, but a certain sim- simplicity and a certain blockiness of mm. you know, just very like big round bass and great simple drums. So them. I love Jerry. I love Rick Morata, you know. Mm. We did that show with Rick, didn't we? You, the the Murata sandwich, right? Murata sandwich. Yes. I, I was standing between Jerry and Rick. and the, norm, that, Sometimes two drummers is a nightmare, but not with those two because they're both actually in the same, they're in the same pocket. Yeah. No, it was, it's amazing. Um, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, that. I couldn't believe it either because they actually kind of, together they make a really incredible drummer. It's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm standing there and playing with this and I'm thinking... How come I can't hear like loads of flams or weird stuff happening? And there was nothing. It was just it was just so groovy. And they were actually hitting the drums. It's not they you know, sure were, you know. <laughs> yeah. And Rick's uh, so yeah. I love what Rick did with with yeah. When well, Rick's using and, um, he's using those. He, I think Jerry was using sticks, and Rick's using the blast. Right. The whatever the, those are called, they, like hot canes, rods? hot rods, hot rods. Yeah. 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 With the little bundle of little sticks. Yeah. yeah I think Rick. Great would, combination. I have some video of that. Was yeah. that that was the one in um, Daryl's house? I think was it. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah, we, yeah. no, we did we did more than one though, didn't we? We did. We played in um, didn't we play up in Schenectady or something? We that one I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I saw you at uh, with just Jerry at us. Was it Sky? Something oh, that was the one up in Sky Albany, Skyloft. Right. Yeah, that was. Oh, just yeah, Jerry. yeah, yeah. That was. Yeah, a, yeah. That's actually a beautiful club. I'm pretty sure we did more than one show with Rick, but I can't. You know, I mean, this is what happens when you get old. It's just like, <laughs> even though something that happened a couple of years ago is a bit of a blur. But um, yeah, your your question about rhythm sections. Um, I tell you what, I really loved. I mean, this is all dating me a bit, but I did. I did love the Wrecking Crew. You know, they did oh, yeah. a lot of great records, and um, I guess it was. Um, oh shit! Sorry. Oh, that's where. Sorry. Um, um, I've forgotten the guy's name. I mean, I, and I know it really well. The drummer. Um. Um. The Wrecking Crew. Anyway. I'm gonna blame it on my age too. There's the young guy. Remember? I, yeah. I can't remember all. Hal Blaine. Sorry, Hal Blaine. Blaine. I already feel bad enough that I couldn't remember Nathan. Hal Blaine, <laughs> great drummer. He's on so many records. You would not believe how many records he's. He's on all that. Loads of Beach Boys records. Is Hal Blaine? You know, um, and Glenn Campbell, mm. um, Wichita Lineman, and the bass player is very often Carol Kay. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's great? She was a pick player, and um, I love her bass playing. 
you know, again, it's it's sort of simple. Wichita Lineman, what a record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it just always brings me to tears, that record. Yeah, it's, it's, there's so much emotion in it, but it also feels great. And when I think it's Glenn actually playing the uh, the low guitar solo, and he just plays the tune, and Carol's there going, dum, 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 you know, and it's just exquisite. So that kind of stuff really gets me, you know, strong emotion. Um, I've played, I've been lucky enough to play with some great drummers, you know, a guy called Liam Ginocchi, um, who I work with in. Um, he he's on a lot of those Paul Brady records. He's a great drummer. Oh, okay. Um, we work with do you know Jerry Rafferty. Is he? No, but I saw that name in your. Yeah, yeah we we work name. with Jerry together, and um, Jerry Jerry's big hit was Baker Street, which is like, oh, yeah, yeah. You always hear that, but it, you know there was more to him than that. And in some ways, that song became like a bit of a millstone around his neck because I mean, not, not financially, it was great financially, I'm sure, but it's like, oh, Baker Street, you know, it's like. Yeah, he made a load of other records, you know, and he was a great songwriter and a great singer. But, um, so, yeah, rhythm sections, James Jameson, of course. Um, who's the drummer on those Motown records? Uh, um, yeah, I, I don't know off the top yeah, of my head. I think I'm pretty old school. I mean, you know, Duck Dunn and was it Al Foster, yeah. right? Um, who else? Oh, Larry Graham? Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, I'm not sure. Can't remember the name of the original drum with with. Like, are you talking? Wait, is that Al Jackson that you're talking Al about? Al Jackson. Yeah, Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. I say Al Foster. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Al Jackson. Yeah, thank you. I figured you were. Um, I know it was combining one, one of the owls. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Larry Graham was a big influence on me. Um, whoever, whichever drummer he was playing with, those early Graham Central Station records. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Because he was he did he'd, he'd invented slapping really yeah and now it's like oh yeah, everybody does that and it's like how fast can you play? You well, know? you're a killer slap player, by the well, way. Well, I'm. Your tone's amazing. Hey, I was watching thanks, the video. Young guy. I was watching the video of the um the just like the half hour Dreamland session like oh. documentary video. Oh right. That's up on YouTube. Oh yeah, Dakota. And there's a part where you're just like like sitting like noodling around or something, and it sounds like fantastic. Oh thank like, you. Like seriously, this laptop sounds so That was so Dakota, beautiful. um, the woman that made the film, Dakota Lane. She yeah, we were just sitting outside at Dreamland. She said, play some bass. And um, I said, oh, I have to get a little amp. We got some little amp, I think. I think it's a, it's for an amp, right? I think so. I was listening to it. I wasn't like right. Like, there must be an amp. I don't know how it happened, but play, just play something, you know. And uh, so that's what that was. But um, but now I see people playing slap things that I can't figure out. Um, I guess I could if I really, you know, had the intonation. But <laughs> um, but when it was when Larry was first doing it in the seventies, I remember hearing those records, and a lot of people going. What is that? You know, what's he doing? Because you couldn't really see, you know, videos were a bit fuzzy. And and then um, a guy called Trevor Horn, who was actually became a really big name producer, you know, he produced some great records. But um, I was in a house band in London, a place called the Empire Ballroom in Leicester Square. So, you know, we were, it was a covers band. We were called Xanadu. And there was two bands. Um, one was Xanadu, which I was in. And the other one was called Ray McVeigh and his band of today. Oh. And um, Trevor was the was like an occasional Depp bass player. Okay. So I kind of knew Trevor. And then he came, I was working in a studio as an engineer as well, just doing all kinds of stuff. 
this was early, still in the 70s now we've kind of gone back a bit but um trevor came in to do a session on something and um we just were talking i think and uh, he said what is that thing you know what's that thing that that guy's doing you know, that larry graham guy what's that and trevor had figured it out but just the basics of it and he went well you kind of go bump oh. thumb. it was this basic you know yeah, yeah. And bump and then you kind of pull you know bump bump <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, well, I've been practicing. And he went, boom, bear, boom, bear, boom, you know. And he said, just, yeah, just practice that. So I just went away and I started going, boom, bear, boom, bear. And then I was like, boom, 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 And you start doing different rhythms with it. Like, oh, this is pretty cool. And then, of course, you know, in the 80s, everyone started doing it. It was like, oh, no, they're all doing it now. Yeah. You know, everyone's doing it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll have to do something else. No, no, I still like it. It's a, it can be great for yeah. certain things, you know. It is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it can be really great. But have you heard Mohini Day? You know, she oh, was, yeah. Right? She, her, oh, my, her technique is It's blazing. unbelievable. She's, you know her? I do not, no. She's, I mean, I don't know. She she came, I guess she's a little bit older now. But she's probably only 20 or 21 now, right? She seems like she's like in her 20s. Um, she's in her 20s, yeah. But she's, she just popped up when she was about 12 or 13 or something crazy. Wow. She's from India. Okay. An amazing bass player. Wow. Just incredible. What, you've seen her on YouTube? Yeah, uh, yeah I follow her on Instagram. Yeah, and she's, yeah me too. Like, her technique is some of the fastest stuff I've seen. People like yeah. her and Thundercat. Right. And, like, they're, like, I feel like they're just, like, pushing that bar further and further yeah. up. Yeah. Like, right. Like, how, like, blazingly fast but still tasteful yeah. they can play. It's, she's posted some stuff, like, in the last couple of weeks, and she's using a metronome, right? She's going, oh, I'm just... I've just been practicing this to see how fast I can play it. And it's like, <laughs> and it's kind of, yeah, it's like tapping and slappies combination. Of, wow. But she, she's very musical as well. It's not just flash. Oh, okay. She yeah. can play beautiful, you know, great round changes. She's got like a lot of young players and probably you too. You know? Oh, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a fast player. I'm yeah. a, like, like, but you, a great thing about, you know, I, I imagine, you know, being, you know, in your 20s right now is like so much is so much is that sorry, I'm moving off mic, come back in. <laughs> is so much is accessible, which is like, you know, you don't have to kind of, you know, we used to traipse around London for like days looking for records or, yeah, you know, or, or there was, it used to be this shop in King's Cross, which was a kind of CD area in those days called Mole Jazz because it was like mole, you know, burrowing. And, you know, that they, they all want, there was them and there was one other place, you know, if there was like an obscure American jazz record, mm -hmm. there was a chance you might get it there. Not necessary. Or they yeah. might say, well, we could try and order that in. And it's like, yeah, it's going to, you know, it might take a few weeks, you know, and then it would show up eventually, yeah. you know. And yeah, now yeah. you just go, Chunk, you know, and there it is. I was just talking to someone yesterday yeah. about that. The fact that, uh, you know, we're, we started with saying that revenues have dropped because of streaming. And the yeah. upshot of it is, or the upside of it is, the access between YouTube and any streaming platform. You have so, you have the world at your fingertips, which would explain why there's a 10 year old. How old was she when she first posted? Um, the spaces uh, yeah she was young, young and yeah. there are like even younger now i mean there's a there's yeah. another kid i see who's gev, coming up she's gev devlano or something there's this, there's this one little kid one right from like southeast asia who's right. who's playing like jocko solos and Mark. no I don't, yeah, I don't know yeah something like eight or nine you know and there's that little drummer that just did, did a gig with the foo fighters you see her yeah yeah she's yeah, like nine. she's nine you know <laughs> and and you think oh maybe they're just like 
humoring in there and she gets up with them a, a big gig in LA. Yeah, it was on a huge nailed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She's nine. Yeah, she's nine. It's not fair. <laughs> yeah. This is not fair at all. But that's the power of music, isn't it? It's like the more so. Yeah, we, I mean, in a way, we're coming full circle. Sure. But, you know, I wouldn't want to be too negative about the royalty thing because actually, in ultimately, I'm fine. You know, money is not my. It's really not my priority. As long as I can survive, and I'm certainly surviving, and um, you know. I'm at an age now where the goal isn't necessarily even to make money. It's just to lose it at a sustainable rate. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know, so I just managed to kind of get to the finishing line and then just fade out. I'm like, you know, I don't have kids, so, you know, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have to leave anything behind. So, you know, there'll be some bases and stuff like that for people to have and enjoy, you know? So... So you money is not the priority. Yeah, 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 yeah. Give me your number. Yeah, but, um, yeah, but definitely, it's like that. To me, that's all good. You know, music is because music really is. It's a, it's a terrible cliche, but it is the universal language, and it always has been. You know, any any one of us, we could just show up in. I don't know. It's like with Werner, we did that track with uh, Yusuf and Dur. You know. Mm-hmm. All in. We did that last year. I think we did it during lockdown, actually. And, um, you know, Jerry put some drums on, Annie's on there. I did some stuff. And then we just sent this track off to Yusu in D- Dakar in Senegal with no explanation. <laughs> you know, just, yeah. here's a track, you know, here, there's some melody ideas. That's it, really. Um, do your thing, you know, and like, that's it. No explanation needed. And that, what comes back is brilliant. Yeah, that's exactly how it happened with Keep On Stepping. There you go. With Roswell and Rudd and Vernon Gillis. everybody yeah. speaks that language, you know, and, and I don't know, know, know if me and Yusuf could even manage to have a conversation, you know. Well, but with, we can have a with conversation words. In, with words. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I have no idea what he's singing about because he's singing in Wolof. I mean, I hope it's <laughs> not, nothing, you know. I'm sure it's great, you know. Yeah. But we, we duet on that, you know. We, we were both singing. and um, Oh, I didn't hear this one yet. Oh, I yeah, it's called All In. All In, okay. Verna, Verna kind of executive produced it, gotcha. so she negotiated with, I don't know, I don't get into any of that stuff. But, you know, I wrote some English lyrics and some French lyrics, actually. That was that was a crossover point. Gotcha. Because he speaks French. That's, uh, the, that's the colonial language. But he said, oh, I don't want to just do it all in French. He didn't. He said. He said this in French, um, um, because you know it's kind of colonial. So I, I'd like really like to sing in Wolof. So it's actually a three language record. So wow. I'm singing in English. He's singing in Wolof, and then we're both singing bad French. Bad French. <laughs> well, I guess African French, whatever that is. Oh, I got you. My, gotcha. my French is bad French. Yeah, my French is. And his, yeah. I asked a French person, and she said, "Well, it's kind of African French. It's kind of gotcha. It's a little." clunky it's different but and Vernus speaks french did she have any did she tell you what it, what, what she was hearing um she's i didn't know she spoke french i thought um, i mean, heard her do it yeah she she like, probably like me like oh okay you know not like yeah she can you i know. watched her cringe when roswell tried to introduce a tune in French to a French audience. Oh, oh, maybe she speaks better French than I thought. Then, yeah, I thought she did, but I, yeah, I could yeah. be wrong. I yeah, could yeah. be wrong. <laughs> yeah, but you know that just that thing of um, I feel like we could just show up anywhere in the world with a, with instruments. Yeah, you know, as long as you have melody, pitch, rhythm, that's it. That's all you need. So, yep, I'd agree with that. Right. 
So, you know, more music, the better and the more accessible, apart from the fact of, you know, it's tricky in the in this capitalist system in which we live. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, we have to work with what we have. That's yeah. part, part of the gig. Well, it's, it's, you know, great as a young musician to have so much access to things. Right. Um, right. And I mean... I guess I'm, I'm trying to get in on it and put things out there and back on the topic of, yeah. of chops and like Instagram bass players. Right. You know, when I'm trying to think of like, well, how can I put myself out there in a way that's, you know, positive for what I'm trying to do? Mm. What do you think of like, as a, as a, if you're just trying to put content online mm. as a bassist, how do you like, like, not that you even need to do this at this point, but for like a younger player, like how should they navigate like I'm, I'm making a video to showcase the bass, but right, the bass is kind right. of meant to be in the background. So I'm always fighting in my head. Like, right. should I try to make this part complicated or should I try to make it as simple as possible? And That's I feel like question. I'm making overcomplicated things as like an etude for myself. But right. then I feel like people are going to watch that and they're going to be like, this bass player is too busy. Like this is not necessary. Right. That's a really good question. I think it depends. Uh, I mean, you know, I've already said you can't really make plans, but. I mean, I guess you, you know, like anybody, you have, you have your, you have your taste, you know, and you have the things that you love. And, and I mean, I, I think, I think if you do what you love, I mean, I know that sounds like maybe that's almost seems like a cop out answer, but I think that that comes over. I think, I think if it comes from a place of, um, it's almost starting to get into something spiritual. I don't mean religious. I don't mean in that sense, but like, something that has real spiritual integrity. Because the thing is, there's, you know, yourself, you know, I go on Instagram as well. There are, there's a thousand or 10,000, God knows how many bass players there are kind of going. There's a, there's a feed called Bass Play Universe or something. And it's yeah, like, yeah. you can you can pay them, you know, and they feature you. And all these bass players, and they're all great. You know, they're all amazing. And it's like, ugh, ugh, you know. <laughs> but um, But how about like, who was the guy who played with Bob Marley? Um, Family Man, right? Aston Family Man Barrett. You know him? I, no, not well. I think I was literally just talking about someone with them the other day. Um, yeah. But but a great bass player. Super simple. I mean, boom, 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 you know, like the simplest things, but it's like, it's got so much integrity. And, um, I think if you find whatever that is for you as an individual, that's the thing, you know, for Larry Graham, it was like being big and funky. And, you know, I saw him play in a small club in London one time and he came out in his white suit, you know, with his white bass. And he was like, you know, wireless, which was not everyone had that in those days and just slapped the shit out of that thing, you know. <laughs> and it was like, well, he's doing him. Yeah, yeah. You know. And even by that point, you, you know, there was en enough people around like Stanley Clark. You, you could go, he might not even have the best chops of any bass player, but he is definitely him. You know, he is the real deal, you know. And, and I feel like even more so now that that there is, it's all, we're in, inundated with everything. You know, there's, it's almost like it's too much. Um I, I might be, I hope I'm right. I don't really know, but that's my instinct is that integrity will always kind of cut through in some way. Well, that's what I, I definitely care about more than chops is right? I mean, obviously I want to keep working on my chops, but yeah. having a sound and having just opinions about what I actually like, you know, I'd right. rather ask myself, yeah. do I like this more than is this flashy? Right. I don't want to be flashy. I want to, I yeah. want to play a sound that 
it represents what I like. Yeah, um, exactly. And this kind of transitions into uh, something else I wanted to ask you, because um, the bassist that I like resonates with me the most that is, is just my favorite of all time actually uh, passed away this year, the great Paul Jackson. Oh, um, great I, bass player. Um, and I wasn't sure if you had any uh, personal opinions on I his loved playing his playing. Yeah, I mean, he was a great bass player and so beautifully understated sometimes. Um, yeah, that's a gr- great example. He, he's on the Nightfly, isn't he, on some of those tracks? The Nightfly? Uh, no, him? I know no. Marcus Miller's on the Nightfly, which I, I love those I thought tracks. he might have played on... Um, who else is on Night Ruby. Fly? Like Anthony Jackson Maybe. or someone? I, I don't think it's Paul Jackson. He's no. not Paul Jackson. Okay. Maybe um, I'm thinking Night of Anthony, Fly. yeah. But I, I, yeah, he's great. I mean, he's just great. I didn't know he'd passed, actually. Yeah, earlier this that. year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, him and him and uh, Mike Clark together. Um, yeah, Clark, yeah, that headhunter stuff. And that, that's what gets me thinking about asking uh, rhythm yeah. section players who their favorite rhythm section is. Because for me, like as far as... That like, was a great rhythm funk, section. Funk players go yeah, like that's... Yeah. Like I love that. that that's a that's a great example because in a way they were also I feel like they were they were great together is one thing, but also they were almost like inventing it as they went along. Yeah. It was like oh we're inventing a new kind of music, you know that nobody's ever really quite heard before. Just like Larry was with Graham Central Station or Sly, you know when it was like oh my god, you know. And actually, if you analyze it, um, some of that stuff, it's I mean they. they Great chops, but technically not sort of perfect, you know, like in, you know what I mean? Like maybe the tempo goes up a bit or down, like things did in those days, but it just feels so good and it's so inventive and it's so fresh. I mean, that's the tricky thing now, I suppose. It's just like really finding what's fresh, right? But, but good music's always fresh. Maybe. I don't know. I hope it is. Well, yeah. a lot of musicians now have access to getting something. You have, you can put something out there yeah. cheaper now than it used to be. Right. So there is a, a, you can just discover something that you've never heard of. and, and, and Yeah. And you know what? It can be something. I tell you what, you know, you're talking about the film, Dakota, who made that film. She's not a musician, um, but she, she, she's, she's quite into sort of lo-fi stuff. You know, I don't know if you've gotten into that. I, I was really unaware of it. And do you know what lo-fi no. is? Yeah, it's like it's like music that kind of where, where things are kind of deliberately sort of somewhat degraded. Oh, and it's sort of the sound sonically, you know, and and it appeals to me because I'm really into like things like old phonographs and you know I I love get going back to the source of like Louis Armstrong. So I've got that sort of connection with the idea of lo-fi as a thing and growing up with tube tube equipment and you know. And I heard some of some of it. I just this is great, you know. And uh, it's not even like players necessarily, but it's fresh. It's somebody bringing a fresh perspective mm-hmm. and saying, "Well, how about this? How about this? You know, how about we deliberately mess it up? You know, but it still grooves. You know, it's not it's not just it's not bad playing. It's just it's just um, all those mistakes that I make on the reel in gigs deliberate." <laughs> You're a lo-fi guy. I'm a lo-fi guy. <laughs> yeah. It's all on purpose. I plan them out. But I don't and, know. And tomorrow night, yeah. completely different mistakes. Right. They're, they're not, I don't repeat myself with that. You're so innovative. I'm so <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're playing tomorrow night. We yeah, are playing tomorrow night. That, yeah. This won't come out, though, for a little bit. So, so it won't be tomorrow night. It won't be tomorrow night. But yeah. it will be tomorrow night. Yeah. In this realm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, Yeah. Yeah, just looking for 
just be yourself. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I think I just got pretty lucky. I, I, I do, honestly, you know, or fortunate. Maybe, maybe fortunate is a better word because I think lucky always has a slight connotation of like, you know, you just got lucky. Yeah, but if it happens as many times as it happened with you, that's not luck anymore. I mean, you might, you can get lucky once, but if you can't live up to what the expectations are, you won't, you probably won't get lucky again. And you got That's lucky, true. what, 250, 300 times as I far as- I made a lot of records, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, a lot of that is also just, got, I mean, that's, we haven't touched on that at all, but is, you know, being able to just get along with people because, you know, especially in those days, studios, there's a real hot house atmosphere. And quite often there was, Although there was money swilling around the business, like we said, it was also like there was could be a lot of money riding on a on an album, you know, mm -hmm. like a Boy George record, you know. It's like the record company's going, they would kind of leave you to it because I think there was a certain level of respect for artists. But at the same time, they're like occasionally remind you that they were spending whatever it was, you know, half a million or a million. You know, I don't yeah. know. I mean, no, but I can't even remember. But judging on the kind of money that was around, it was pretty, the budgets were big, you know, and studios were expensive. And so um, it was important to be able to just get on, get along with people, you know, handle a certain amount of, I don't know, just it's almost like tunnel vision, isn't it? You know, not let that get to you. Mm. <laughs> and uh, and particularly if you were in that producer role, which I, sometimes I was, sometimes I wasn't. But to 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 just see that space as kind of, it might sound a little pompous, but almost to see it as like sacred. And it, it, you know, it makes me think of what you said about what Jerry said when he shows up to play. It is almost like it's a sacred thing. You of know, course it is. I'm playing. Yeah. You know, and uh, I, I think if you bring that, then you're, you're, you're more than halfway there already. You know, it's like, yeah, I'm not just messing about. This is, this is music, you know. Yeah, there's deep meaning behind yeah. what you're doing. This is actually, emotional meaning and right? yeah. You know, when I was when I was 16 years old, I had a manager, um, a guy called Jimmy Winston. He passed recently. He was. A, do, you, do you remember the band called Small Faces? I do not. No. Okay, they were a big band. Um, the singer was Steve Marriott, who went on to form Humble Pie. Oh, okay. Yeah, and they were a big, big band in the states. But originally, they were called the Small Faces, and out of that came the Faces, which was Rod Stewart and all those guys. So they were like they were a local band where I was growing up in East London. So Jimmy Winston was the original keyboard player. And then he kind of didn't really want to be in bands anymore. He became, went to management. But um, he was my first manager. Um, I was in a band and he got us gigs in London. We were just kids, you know, 16, 17. But he gave me this book and it was called Music Simple mm -hmm. by a guy called Sufi Inyat Khan, who was a mystic. Okay. Know. And I still have that book. And... and um, I don't often think about it and I hadn't thought about it for probably years. And I just thought about it and, and it, I think it was, it, he was kind of going, it was, he was, he had that spiritual perspective, Jimmy, you know, and he, it was like, just so you know, <laughs> you know, you're six, I was 16. Just so you know, this is what you're getting into. You know, mm. it's not, it's not just froth. <laughs> you know, it's not just pop music. This is, this is, you know, and this book was about, it was all this, a lot of it went over my head. It's like the music of the spheres and how the universe works and, you know, yeah. very yeah. esoteric stuff. But I think it was, some of it went in and I'd still believe that. I think music is actually, despite how things appear to be, which is a whole nother story, you know, we're looking at all this 
bullshit going on, you know, and politics and money and all the rest of it. Um, ultimately, um, music is actually, it's a, it's a sort of manifestation of the most powerful force in the universe, you know. There you go. There you go. <laughs> it's frequencies. I mean, that's, yeah. Everything's kind and of And especially bass, right? It's all yeah. frequencies. That's what the book's about. It's saying, well, it's all just, you know, it's frequencies. It's just things spinning and, you know, and that's what we do. You know, you pick up a bass and you go, boom, you know, whatever, you know, 220 yeah. cycles. Well, every time the earth goes around the sun, that's a frequency. Like, right. like the, the universe like is humming. Like people will say things like that. And it is very like yeah. hippy dippy. But it really is. But it, yeah, yeah. But it like makes sense to a certain level. It's just kind of like how things yeah. function. And it, it, I guess that right. just boils down to like how people can understand each other through music. It's like you're saying, yeah. with, um, you probably couldn't even have a conversation with, uh, oh, I, I already lost you the see, name. Yeah. But, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but musically, there's, there's still a connection there. And there's something to be yeah. said. And there's something you yeah. feel in each other that you can kind of... And it, and it probably predates verbal language. I, w I would, I would, I don't know whether they know that or not, but I would imagine so. You know, because birds sing and animals make noises and pitch and rhythm, and you know that's all there in nature. We have these pigeons in England where we live in England, and they they make this great rhythm. You know, boo 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 boo, boo, boo. and they all do it. You know, all these pigeons, except there was one last year. We had one syncopated pigeon. Oh, and it went. And it's like, and this year I was like, oh, I hope that pigeon comes back. It didn't come back. You have a ragtime pigeon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, ragtime pigeon. That's rag. a that's a good name for a prog band. Yeah, I think. You're welcome. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, well, absolutely, all of that stuff. Yeah, it's all it's all rhythm and cycles, and and that's all we are as well. We think we're these. Um, where I'm, shall I go there? You can go there. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, what what is a human being? I mean, we just we just coalesced out of this universe, haven't we? Mm. You know, for a brief period, and and we're each we're just the universe looking looking in on itself. We're not we're not apart from it. You know, that's the way I look at it. So how could I not be in tune with that? How so I'm God, basically. Oh, now we're getting to it. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, okay. If you, if you, we won't make too big of a no, no, no. Well, no, yeah. If you like, I mean, we we we. <laughs> if you're we'll, into that sort of thing, yeah. Yeah, we all. I think that we all are. I think that that underneath all the again all the, all the sort of stuff that gets written and you know words that are written. I mean, and I, of course, this is just words, isn't it? But um, I think that's probably what most ancient religions were trying to get at. You know, and the Sufis certainly. You know, who who are the ones that. Well, get in a trance. Whirling dervishes. I don't know what oh. religion that is. It might be Sufis, but they whirl. They just, you know, it's uh, it's a way to get out of it. I basically. don't know about that. I mean, Christian McBride has a beautiful tune called Whirling Dervish. I know that. Oh, okay. Oh, we've never seen a whirling dervish. No. Yeah. So they whirl. It's basically, it's like, when, you know, kids do it instinctively. You know, they, did you ever do that as a kid? You, you spin around spin, to try and yeah, get dizzy. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, it's funny, you know. And uh, I think that that's a really primal impulse is to... Um, is to do that is to get out of your self out of your self obsession the idea of that we're just these little atomized little sort of units of biology and we are that but we're also not that you know because if we were then it's like well what happens when somebody's asleep or what happens if somebody is injured and you know they they don't function anymore and they say oh well, they're in a vegetative state well they're still alive so 
what do you call that thing that's gone away? You know, mm. um, and uh, it's music to me, you know, or it certainly is part of it. Music is a great way to. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> what was it? Time's up. Yeah. Yeah. Come in. Come in, number 42. Your time is up. <laughs> um, yeah. I think music references that at, at the very least, but maybe more than that, music is an expression okay, yeah. of that. I think. I, I think when I discovered bass, which was probably, I was about 12, I mean, when I first got my first bass, my mum bought me a bass. Um, it was a, a Jetson short scale bass. And um, I was really struck by the, the vibrational aspect. That's what got me about it. It was like, okay, all this other stuff's great and it is great. And I know that's vibration too. But this thing, I can actually make stuff literally vibrate. I can make people vibrate, you know, that's, you know, don't want to get too, <laughs> too porno here. Oh. <laughs> um, but, you know, that's, that was very appealing to me as a, as a, as a 12 year old. And, and then I started listening to, I'm sure you did if you're into bass, you know, I started listening to the low end of stuff. Those old tube gramophones and radios were great for that as well. They, yeah. they always had that really warm bottom end. And I'm um, listening out for, it's like, um, what's that song? I'll be there. It's, it's, a, it's like a two bar bass fill before the chorus hits on that. And it's, it's Jamie's done. Boom, 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 boom. It's just this beautiful thing, you know. It's like, oh, what's that, you know? And the, and the way it vibrates, it gets your molecules going. So, um, yeah, that. That, yeah. <laughs> Whatever that is. Yeah, like I said, it's it's very uh, esoteric. But it's I, esoteric. I, 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 like I, I feel it. It's just it's, right. it's so abstract, but it's like it is part of how I kind of connect with. You feel it, right? That's yeah, like the most religious part. Like I'm not a religious guy, but the way I no, me neither. Connect yeah. with just the way things flow in the universe. It yeah, kind of relates to yeah. that. Well, I, I feel like re religions were, were, in a way, a lot of them to me. Um, uh, somebody might really hate this, but you know, in a way we're supposed to have that direct experience of the universe and, and religions are like franchises where these kind of people came along and went, yeah, we'll help you with that. You know, we'll, we'll just get in there and, um, you know, give us a little cut there and, you know, put some <laughs> money in that dish or whatever it is. And, um, I mean, they literally used to sell that. That was a big thing in Europe, wasn't it? We've gone way off music, but, um, <laughs> I forget which church it was. It was a big fallout in Europe in like the 15th century. And it was because the church was kind of selling, it was like selling insurance. They were, they were like, if you pay this much, you'll definitely get to heaven. I think definitely. I remember hearing about this in yeah. school or something. Yeah. yeah. And there was, and there was a guy who split off and formed a whole nother church. And he said, this is just corruption. You pay know, me instead. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, he said it's free. He was like, oh, you know, okay. it was like, you can get into heaven free now. And probably somebody killed him, you know, shortly after he said that. But, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but you can via music and bass or guitar or whatever, you know, to me, that is, you know, that's the door to heaven. I think, I think it's just all around us. It's music, you know? Well, yeah. If you can, um, touch somebody for, with, without getting arrested for it, like if you can, t t if you can, <laughs> if you can, um, play music yeah. and, I mean, I know that I, I when I look out over an audience um, and they're singing along to what you're playing and they feel good and they come up afterward and tell them, tell you how good you just made them feel. Yeah. 
doesn't get better, right? It does not. And I also don't feel compelled to look to an outside source to define what that is. I intuitively, that's, that's right to me. Yeah. And I don't need that to be verified. No, you feel it. You feel it. feel it. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess that's, We've brought this full circle many times at this point, but mm. at all of the things that I listened to this week um, that had you on it, you can feel all of them. Oh, well, that's that beautiful. Thank you. That's I didn't listen, to, if I'm being completely honest, I didn't get to all 200 and, and however. <laughs> you didn't listen to everything I ever did? I didn't listen to everything, but I literally pulled, just <laughs> picked some random things. Uh, and luckily, yeah. I started with uh, Dreamland. Right. You know, um, it just made me realize, like, I've been playing with you probably since that album first came out. Yeah. And I had never thought to just go on Spotify and look you up. Right, right. <laughs> or go on whatever. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I was like, all right, Jennifer's coming over. Let Aww. me do a little, uh, let me just check out something. Because I know how you play. I've played with you. I was thinking about the different experiences that I've had with you. Um one of the funnest too. They all were fun, but the secret, uh, the secret city. Oh uh, yeah, the secret city. That stuff. Um, fun. So you're that. Um, I'm sorry. What's his name? I'm, Chris Wells. Chris Wells. The, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Chris is great. Chris is amazing. Mm. Um, that performance. That was Jerry as well um and i'm forgetting the other man who played guitar and sang the george michael faith oh jeremy jeremy bass yeah there we're bringing up there's faith again this is all coming um but again an audience of people uh completely enthralled with what was happening yeah having a good time yeah and it also made me realize looking up your discography was your you've done everything production performance but you've also done acting right and you've part- I did a bit of acting yeah yeah, yeah. so it's like yeah. your your whole life seems to be uh lived as one who not in a bad way touches Just one big performance <laughs> but, but but you're constantly yeah. touching people and oh. reminding them of the beauty of what all of the because yes you play music but acting is its own music i suspect mm. um it's another way of relating to the world uh, and Definitely. and and actually having a positive effect uh, I, I mean I love visible yeah whatever you want to call it true I yeah. mean I'm you know I wouldn't call myself an actor by any degree but I, I've done a bit but um and I I wouldn't call, think of myself as a, as a as a good actor even but I, I mean a great actor can you know touch people in un- unbelievable ways and so you know i admire that because it's like wow they don't even have an instrument you know mm-hmm. they're not even singing but well, if you want to get uh, annoying about it you could say their body was their instrument but- yeah yeah that's right <laughs> you know no absolutely yeah I, but I, i'm just telling yeah. you that if the conversation yeah. starts yeah. with somebody saying that i'm i'm out <laughs> but it, but it's actually true because is, you know it's absolutely true. I'm, what is I'm an still out? No. I'm, still, I'm walking. No, let's go there. No, it's a great question. What do we mean by an instrument? You know, they just evolved to be things with strings or whatever. But it's again, it's just it's Vessel. just it's a yeah, it's yeah. a vehicle, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So anything can be a vehicle, and and what what is it a vehicle for? It's that. It's like well, you know, we're here. We're here now. You know. Don't waste it. Yeah, it's <laughs> you know? a reminder of how beautiful yeah, life, things can life. actually be. Yeah, so much far far better 
than a lot of the negative things you can get caught up in on a daily basis, especially if you're yeah. inundated with just horrible things in your, for lack of a better word, in your feed, you know. Well, again, there's plenty of opportunities for that now. There's 24 hour bad things. Yeah, you have to make a choice in what to participate in. And yeah. you, you have to make a choice. You, you are making a I, choice. I think so, otherwise yeah. you go crazy. It's, yeah. it's a tricky one though, isn't it? Because, you know, I, I wanna know what's going on out there mm -hmm. so, so that I can engage with it in a meaningful way, but I don't wanna be saturated with crazy stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and, and let's right. face it, that. There's yeah. crazy stuff. It's crazy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And oh. so it's it's better to do probably more rewarding to do the yeah. the projects that you've been yeah. involved in to to put something positive out into the world and receive something positive back for that endeavor. Yeah. And and maybe sometimes there's an element of trying to sort of absorb I mean I think this is probably um you know, I'm I'm not a Buddhist, I'm not anyist. But I, I think part, and correct me if I'm wrong, if there's any Buddhists listening, but that, you know, the idea of sort of transforming as well can be part of creativity is like, because there is crazy stuff and there mm. is, um, you know, lack of compassion and mm. all, there's all that, there is all that dark stuff that, that uh, the Buddhist thing is that you, you can transform that, you know, but not if you, not if you're sort of attached to it and you're stuck in it. Yeah. You know, but it can kind of transform, and then you put that out. And you know, I look at someone like Dalai Lama, who I know nothing about Buddhism at all, but he seems like a pretty cool guy to me. He seems to exude kindness and compassion without having to have a guitar or a bass. You know, yeah. <laughs> does he have an Instagram? <laughs> I, I think he probably does. does he but you know, he's just like this kind of guy that just moves around the world, just kind of shining this sort of glow yeah. around you know yeah. so you know that's a kind of a music i think well that's exactly what you're doing in music you know yeah. you're going around the world yeah and you're shining a, a light on what can be beautiful and anything that you touch when you're shining that light turns to that that's beautiful well you're welcome again you can keep that name i came up with earlier and i don't remember what it was and, and what i just said as well <laughs> i can't remember what it was what was the name it was you said it could have been a band name oh, oh yeah pigeon something uh ragtime pigeon ragtime yeah. pigeon you're yeah welcome. yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um well uh just so you know we're probably a little over an hour now so okay. if, if you know we need to wrap it up at any point judge, we're, it? we're yeah, at but... two hours are we really <laughs> yeah what? oh wow yeah. really yeah it's, yeah there you go. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. I guess I guess I I didn't look at the the I, first. I one. might have to go to the bathroom. So, no, actually, we have the same mic. It's in there. Oh, okay. And we have a little. So we we, we could it's seamless. It's so totally could, yeah, seamless. Yeah, it's yeah, going to yeah. be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so yes, we've. Did you have something else? I was just going to wrap with. We've taken up way too much. Yeah. Time. I know. It's been a pleasure, and I absolutely amazing. Yeah. I, I could go on, but we'll have to do a, a part two if you if you want to come back at some count, point. Count me in. All right. Um, yeah. But this was this was awesome. It was really fun to talk to you both, and um, yeah. Amazing to, uh, well, it started with my week, just going through the different things. Like I see you often enough, I've played with you a bunch, but amazing to just see these other things that you've been, I'm not surprised right, at all, uh, but it was great to listen to, like, because when we play together, it's, it's usually as a rhythm section and it's, it could, it's, it's our vision of what we want something else to be that like you, that right. you, that you right. didn't write. Right. So to hear what you write, and to hear 
the stuff with to hear Annie in there because mm. I've only just said hello. I don't. I don't. Uh, right. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, yeah. Um, I think she did the Secret City thing with us, didn't she? She did. Did she? I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah. I think she did. That was just yeah. an amazingly fun. Yeah. Just the energy of that was such a beautiful, yeah. chaotic beauty. Like, to yeah. Us. Like, we got the tunes, and, and you, it, it yeah. was just amazing to to be part of that. Again, the yeah. amazing part of it comes for the, from the audience for me, the feedback. Yeah. Like, if you're in front of 200 people yeah. and they are loving. Yes. Then you're fe- there's something that there that's a priceless. Uh, yeah. That's just a. I think that's why we. Um, maybe why we get in the game you know maybe i don't know i i i'm sure it plays a part because i yeah i can certainly remember well without going off into a whole nother thing but you know i can remember those early experiences of being in front of an audience and going ooh, because i was i was like the geeky weird kid that got bullied Uh and then and then suddenly i I had a bass and i was like oh i'm I'm a rock star cool yeah that'll do it yeah it'll do it they love it you know but but it's not just vanity it was like they're having a great time. Yeah. And, and I'm having, having, a, great having a great time. So what's not to like, you know? It, it is that simple. Yeah. As complex yeah. as the rest of this gets. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, you're having fun, I'm having fun. Yeah. Then that's, yeah. that's the one. Spinal bit. tap, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, so what is he says? I can't remember. Have a good time all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I don't remember that quote, but that that's about that. I think it's the keyboard player. I don't know. Yeah, it's the spinal tap thing. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. <laughs> So, yeah. on that note, thank you so much for coming and, mm. and sharing all these incredible experiences with us. Yeah. Um, is there anything that the listeners should be keeping an eye out for? Anything Projects. that you want to promote? Um, well, I'm working on stuff with all sorts of people. Um, I'm working on some new stuff with Verna. Um, Verna Gillis? Yeah, Verna Gillis, which uh, Jerry's going to play on. And we don't even know what that's going to be yet, but I'm sure it'll be great. It um, is going to be great. Yeah, I'm working on another album finally i got kind of got to it amazing yeah so i'm not quite sure what it's gonna be called but it sort of dovetails with the idea of doing um um a few people said i write a bit you know i do i do um i do a weekly i'm I'm just a student i'm like a writing student i guess but dakota who made the film is a writer she's had books published mm-hmm. and um she does a re- weekly writing class and i've been doing that and uh you know annie's uh tony levin comes along sometimes and um you know we just share writing and stuff it's great it's, wow. it's a great fun thing um anyway so long story short a few people have said um there's a company called woodstock arts which is a guy called weston bleelock and he floated the idea to me of like you should do like a show where you kind of maybe talk about your life a bit mm-hmm. But, you know, like, I hesitate to say a musical, you know, because that's like, not that, you know, not Ethel Merman. But, um, but like, some stories, you know, some songs. I, I don't know. And I, it's early days, but I feel like that might be shaping up. Oh, wow. You know, to be like, um, a little, yeah, I'm just thinking about it. I'm just, I'm almost by saying that, I'm kind of, you know, I'm pushing myself along the road yeah, yeah. saying okay i'll say it but i do have some ideas and i do have some bits of writing and i maybe in some songs that might fit into that so so the next album could maybe be that there's some spoken stuff on that last album. yeah there is yeah so maybe to take that a little bit further but it's i still i don't really want it to be broadway you know that's not my i mean if it ends up on broadway great because we'll all make loads of money <laughs> yeah but um i i don't think that's the way into it i think it's more of a um, 
it's more organic than that. So. Well, if it's on Broadway, I think um, Ragtime Pigeon might be the. I think um, that's that's going to be the because you're incorporating yeah. a couple. I can see that actually, just in those big red well, letters. Just, Ragtime was a musical, right? Uh, Bert, uh, not Bert, Cats. You can tie this in. Yeah, pigeons. Pigeon, pigeon is York. a popular word. Yeah, They're big in New York. But yeah, you, yes. have, you have pigeons in this country. Right? Oh, in New York is probably more pigeons than people. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's another title: more pigeons than people. <laughs> <laughs> just chug, see what happens yeah you know, we're just riffing just you know riffing. yeah <laughs> yeah so anyway yeah we've got a place Actually, to promote it yeah mm-hmm. let's let's say it is going to be a broadway musical there you go i'll affirm that oh perfect yeah so you know because that's what you do in this country right you pick yourself up so um yeah. vision board <laughs> yeah so i'm writing a broadway musical the vision and, um, board's right there actually we yeah. there's nothing on it which would explain, it. that'll explain my vision yeah um, so and, you know we're talking to some backers and um we you know we're hoping to put on a, a broadway musical excellent yeah oh, well, called I, um uh what was it called pigeon so audience keep an eye out for yeah. ragtime pigeon uh, maybe the wood the woodstock world there you go. Uh, the, was, I have a song which I wrote with Julia Blelock. She wrote the words. I wrote the music. It's called The Woodstock Whirl. Okay. That's a nice title. Not Whirling like Dervish. No. Not. Okay. No, just the whirl. Okay. Just the one. <laughs> so it's Woodstock Whirl. The Woodstock Whirl. Woodstock whirl. <laughs> Lovely. Yeah. Well, that sounds amazing. Yeah. We will be on the lookout for all that. Yeah. And uh, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's a real pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Jennifer. You're awesome. Oh, Seriously. thank you both. Let's go.